friends, and welcome to Screen Vomit, the only movie podcast for normal people. I'm, of course, your host, Kayla, and I do have two guests with me today, but guess what? I got a whole bunch of crap to tell you before I get to them. I'm doing gigs, baby. If you're listening to this when this comes out, I have some stuff coming up on Sunday, October 15th in Elgin, Illinois. I will be there hosting a film screening in honor of National Coming Out Day. This isn't really sort of related to screen vomit. It's kind of part of the other thing I do or one one of the many other things I do, but it is film related. And it is me related. So uh, I'll be there screening two queer short films and hosting a Q&A um, after one of them. I'm a little uh, congested right now. Sorry if you can tell that. Um, also, same day, October 15th, I curated the pre-show for Black Hole Monoplex's Halloween screening. Um, so that is both in person in Amenia, New York, and also live streaming. So if you want to see a little horror shorts block that I put together, picked out by me, if you live near Amenia, New York, you can go there or tune into their live stream at blackholemonoplex.com. I think it starts at like six. Uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I think it's around six. Um, Eastern Time, you can check it out on their Instagram. I also put the link to that stuff. Tickets to my Elgin screening and the link to the Black Hole Monoplex stuff in my link tree, which is in all my bios and in the show notes. Also, also, can you believe I have this much stuff going on? I've literally never had anything to do. And now I have uh, three huge gigs coming up. My third thing, and this is really the big one, in my opinion, in my eyes. I'm doing what I consider to be my very first actual live screen vomit live gig. It's not a live podcast, but I'll be there hosting a curated shorts block that I put together meticulously assembled. This will be at PDA in Altadena, California. This is just outside of LA. On 11-11, November 11th, I have put together a lot of films from past and future guests, some that are eps that haven't come out yet, of the pod, including Graham Mason, Harrison Atkins, Johnny Look, John Mackey. Alex Kavutsky is making a film just for my screening. I have a couple other ones showing that are not released, including Johnny's movies, not yet released. So I'm really excited to be showing these. I'm nervous. I think it's going to be really cool. I think uh, at least a couple of these filmmakers are going to be there. So maybe we'll do a little Q&A thing after that too. I'm going to have commie biscuits out there slang and cookies for some treats. And I think it's going to be really cool, really fun. I'm going to show so many really cool, good shorts that also starts, uh, I think it's like Doors at 6, show at 6.30. Tickets for that are also in my links. So I hope you come and don't make me regret it. Okay. Other than that, um, you can follow me on Instagram and everywhere else at Screen Vomit, one word on all this stuff. I have merch in my links and I may also be having some new merch coming along. And I think that's it for my plugs. Um, now we can get to my guests. I am so excited. I have two guests today. These gals have a movie called The Apology together. I have Allison Starlock 
and Kim Sherman here. Their movie, The Apology, is out now on Hulu and Shudder and all the places. It's a really cool horror movie starring Anna Gunn and Janine Garofalo. Oh my God, can you believe? Um, So cool. So check out their movie. I mean, they also have you know, a history of things they've done independently of each other. Allison has like a really storied history in reality TV, get into some of it. She's also worked on like real world and the challenge and stuff like that. Kim produced a bunch of cool movies like Sun Don't Shine, You're Next, A Teacher, like these people have some really cool stuff in their past. And I get into some of it in the pod, some of their early, early, <laughs> the deepest beginnings possible. And aside from even all that, I was just literally addicted to chatting flicks with these ladies. We just could not shut the fuck up. So this episode is long as hell. Um, but you know what? I think it's worth it. I think it's so fun. And uh, here it is. You guys just made a movie together. Yeah, we did. What is you guys' meet cute? I wish we met at the grocery store or something for this moment, but we just met in the old-fashioned way where producers br- other producers brought us together over Zoom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, is that right? We met online. Yeah. We met, yeah. As many people are doing these days. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, but it was it was love at first sight. Right on. Aw. Right on. Yeah, it was like, oh, I think we have a producer that, you know, we'd love to, you know, have you work with on this film. Would you like to meet mm-hmm. with her? I was like, of course. I knew her previous work and tried not to fangirl through the whole meeting, just probably like <laughs> a quarter of the meeting. And, uh, and we just, yeah, we got along great right away and just have had a series of soulful, supportive challenging in the good way conversations ever since yeah i want to say too when Allie and i did first meet i had no idea i didn't know anything about her story at all and just loved her from her enthusiasm her ideas and everything and then you get to know Allie, and you find out the things that she's gone through to get here and it's just like deepens it deepens. Well, thank you, Dolly. Hell yeah. So, Allison, this is your feature debut. Woohoo. What's that like? How's it been? I mean, it's so hard to get a movie made anyway, no matter who you are. But you did get a movie made, and it's a cool movie. And uh, I bet you. that's just got to be great. It is really great. It's really, it's really great. It's, I just kept being constantly stunned that that was my reality and that I got to work with people like him. It was just incredible. And it was, it was also, I mean, like, I think it's always important for us to be honest as artists of what it's like. It's very, mm-hmm. very difficult to make a movie. I don't know if you heard, um, but especially <laughs> when, you know, you, I was, um, just to give you a brief backstory, but I, yeah. I had stayed home with my daughter for a long time and had been writing. And so coming out of basically being a stay at home special needs mom to making your first feature with like this huge group of incredible artists uh, Mm -hmm. was wonderful and overwhelming and challenging and so rich, like just what a gift. And to go straight to Shudder. And to go straight to Shudder and theaters and AMC Plus. Yeah. Yeah. The Shudder news, Kim can tell you, like, (laughs) you weren't there when I learned this, Kim, because I just had missed this earlier on. But they were like, and then when they were also on Shudder and I just started crying. I was just like, I'm on Shudder. Our movie's on (laughs) I was just such a fan because I remember, you know, when I was pure stay-at-home mom and uh, it would be like my daughter would be at school and I would write and then I would watch a horror movie on Shudder. And like, mm-hmm. it would just make me feel 
better and more connected. And then uh, I get to have my movie on there. It's pretty cool. So you just were chilling at home writing all the time. Yes, that was that was. Uh, so basically, I went to film school. That's amazing. I made short films. I worked in reality mm-hmm. TV as a story producer. And then um, I stayed home with my daughter when she was first born because I was like, yay, you're fun. And then uh, she turned out to be diagnosed with autism and needed a lot mm-hmm. of help. And so basically I was her advocate and everything else and then writing at the same time. And that's what I did for years. I just think that's amazing because um, writing for me, I had a brief moment, a drip in history where I was like, it would be so cool to like write a movie or write shorts and it is just so much, it takes so much more energy than I think anybody realizes who doesn't do it normally. Um, so yes. <laughs> I just think that's so amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. It does. It's so funny. It's so like you a, were like, I'm going to do this a lot. I'm going to do it all the time. <laughs> I couldn't even write one short. <laughs> well, I feel like I, I think uh, writers that don't write are a bit dangerous, like not good for themselves <laughs> or other people. So I just always had to still write and I just uh, have always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ever since I wrote my first very awkward short film in high school, I was like, oh, I have to. <laughs> yeah. I think I randomly had seen probably a few things that um, both of you worked on. Actually, my friend worked on a show um, called Stupid Face, Allison, oh which gosh. I saw on <laughs> On your IMDb. I don't know if Kim even knows about Stupid Face. I was like, that's the most random possible thing to know someone from. (laughs) I am so impressed right now. Um, Yeah, so Stupid Face is this really, really goofy um, sketch show that also somehow incorporated skateboarding or something. Am I remembering this correctly? (laughs) But (laughs) my husband was at a sketch uh, comedy group for years, and I basically produced Mm. all their shows. And so Mm. uh, that also meant producing and directing and you know whatevering yeah. uh for all of these sketches that they did so you for got wiped face. into the fuel tv show stupid kind, face kind of because my husband and i very <laughs> often are constantly just making you know helping each other with what we're making and some of that is uh the apology and some of that is stupid face <laughs> <laughs> she's got range <laughs> yeah baby yeah, my friend um, Andre Highland, I don't know if you know him, but he played Tim Hutchins' character on the show a lot and probably other characters. But anyway, that was like one of his big... That's uh, so funny. Big breaks, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if you call it a big break, but... That was <laughs> we were pretty psyched about it. We got paid to make things. At the time, yeah. And it was like on TV and that like felt hu- it felt like a huge step, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether or not Fuel TV still exists or like... <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know can say. <laughs> but weirdly, we weren't asked to a second season. Season. I don't know if there was a second season. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm kind of, it's madness, Kim. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by the name "Stupid Face" and how that that <laughs> pins you. It pins you so. I can feel the era that that show was made in. Like that title. <laughs> yeah. That title speaks volumes. One hundred percent. Like what was it like? Mid two thousands. Something like, like that, yeah, or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's like the height of when I was just like constantly making shorts on the weekends. It was like that's all mm. we did was just like make another short on the weekends, and yeah. Have you always fun. been LA based? I have. Yeah, I went to USC okay. and I've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. But Kim, you have cool. you've lived in. You're from Missouri, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started in Columbia, Missouri, and had a 
a brief stint in Memphis, Tennessee before moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. Nice. You also worked on a film called Box Elder, uh, which a yeah. for, past guest was on. Past guests of the pod, Kyle Ayers, was in that movie. Yes, I did. Um, which is now like lost to, I don't think it exists. He, yeah, Kyle's a sweetheart of a dude. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah. Did you go to college with I, them? No, they were they were a few years. Uh, okay. Like, we, we didn't cross paths uh, at the university, mm. but it was sort of, you know, it's a college town that we lived in. Yeah. Um, and it was, there were just a few people that were really seriously and dedicated to making films and you sort of just Mm -hmm. gravitated towards one another I think I started out as like an AC on that I was a first AC I was not first AC I was maybe second AC and Mm. then and then I was down the tier and then then the AC (laughs) got promoted to DP and I became the first AC (laughs) and it was it was one of those things where the director would show up I love him. I want to say that. So any of this is like, mm-hmm. this was when we were children. And I'm sure sh- <laughs> yeah, he sure. would show yeah. up. Yeah. He would show up with like. Same era, close to same era as yes, Stupid Face. Yeah. So I'm really pulling yes. out the deep ones. So yeah. He, yeah. he would show up to set with note cards sometimes where he was like, he would show up three hours late to set a lot of times. And we would have mm-hmm. set up the camera uh, and just played pranks on each other while we waited and then he would show up with like business like these cards where he had he wanted to tell us how disappointed he was that we weren't making our days and what we needed to do differently and we're like uh don't be three hours later let's all just show up on time and it'll be great yeah it was so yeah, fun. If if everyone would show up on time, I don't know who yeah. it is who's not doing that. But it was I'm not naming We're names. all trying to Looking figure right out who face. this guy is that doesn't show up on time. Yeah. We'll get to the bottom of it. Just stick together. But your cards are really gonna help out. Yeah. The card thing is so specific to that era too, where you're just like, Okay, yeah. I've got my tool. It, it's a person who it's a person who is incredibly friendly, incredibly likable, does not want to rock the boat with folks, does not like to be not yeah. liked, and suddenly felt like he needed to like have a come to Jesus conversation with us about punctuality <laughs> and needed to write his thoughts down so that he didn't look into our poor faces and lose his mind. Oh. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> So from there to here, now you guys have this huge hit film <laughs> with all these big celebs in it. You got Anna Gunn, you got Janine Garofalo, you got Linus Roach. That's amazing. The cast is crazy. Um, Janine Garofalo, I've been seeing pop up more in like these kind of um, smaller movies or like smaller casts or more indies. When I feel like I didn't see her around for yeah. a second, now she now she's I do. incredibly <laughs> supportive. She's that wonderful. Rocks. It yeah. was. It was awesome to just be around her, and she's such a thoughtful, collaborative filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there are shots in the film that she suggested. Just she would walk into a room and just see something cool that she thought we might be missing, and she was just, she was just great. She was so lovely to be around every day. She oh, yeah. really was. And then on top of that, when I would take her suggestions, she would get like about to cry because somebody was taking her suggestions, and I'm like. Janine, who did yeah. you wrong, boo? Like, people should be listening <laughs> to your big, beautiful brain. We know who wasn't we, listening. We know. The thing is, we know. Yeah, yeah we know. <laughs> she we paved, know. Or we have she ideas. She paved the way for mm-hmm. us. Yes, she did. Yeah. Yes, she did. And she brought yeah. all of that wisdom to every conversation we had, even if we were talking about cookies. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did it's talk about It's sad that it is still for, like, people 
probably like 30 and over, it is still sometimes kind of monumental to have like female support or like feel heard as a woman or or a non-man in entertainment in general, in film probably more especially film or music probably most especially it's sad that that's still true (laughs) like that people are still having times of like wow like I'm a woman and like people are listening to what I had to say (laughs) she's so deeply intellectual too she just you know Mm -hmm. it's it's like the the recipe for somebody to ooze confidence and and she does and I think it's like a a thick skin kind of confidence of like you Mm -hmm. know just perseverance and not not letting anything stop her she's amazing more powerful than any of us yes (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's awesome and yeah the movie's out now that rocks yeah go see the apology watch the apology uh on your own with friends with lots of friends many 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 times you can watch it like you said on shutter and amc plus and we're not plugging Mm -hmm. right now but i'm just so used to doing this uh or you can (laughs) buy and rent it on vod it also includes uh, a making of featurette uh featuring my awkward self doing my first interview in an epk uh, so, Are we getting a physical yeah. release? I think we're going to. Yeah, there's a. I haven't heard. There's the another yet, window but, coming yeah. up where it'll be streaming on different platforms and and then a physical release as well. Nice, hell yeah! So maybe by the time this is out, maybe it'll be time for physical. So yeah, that's awesome. All right, so just like movie life in general, your experience with watching movies, what is you guys's relationship with watching movies? Do you hell watch yeah. a lot? Do you have a type? Your movie's a horror, but you've obviously both worked in comedy. Yeah, I like to think as a producer, I'm definitely genre agnostic mm-hmm. as as a movie watching person. It's mm-hmm. definitely personal. So it shifts depending on what's going on in my life. Yeah. You know, for for a while, for instance, after I, I'm a mom and my son is five now. And I remember right after he was born, there was this clear moment where I could not watch scary and especially scary mm-hmm. with a child in harm in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that yeah. really changed <laughs> what I was taking in and watching from where I had been even just a couple months earlier. Um, so, so for mm-hmm. me, it's just, I kind of ride the waves of who I am personally at that moment, <laughs> but definitely watch a lot, a lot, try to watch everything I can. And then there's, you know, there's times where People are talking too much about a, a film, and I I cannot mm-hmm. watch it with a clear head because I I'm constantly reading and mm-hmm. taking in what the discourse is around a film, and I I have to have a little space from it. So, like this film that we're going to talk about yeah. today is a good example of like kind of grateful I caught it after that wave of conversation because I could go mm-hmm. into it without knowing at all what it was, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that same thing. If people are talking too much about a thing. I can't. I got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> I got to wait till I'm going to be fresh and not have all these other thoughts in my yeah. head. I do love when mm-hmm. that happens. Like if I can avoid watching a trailer, I'd much rather watch the trailer right after I finish the movie to help me kind of process yeah. it than I would, you know, um, beforehand. But I'm kind of the opposite. If people are talking about it, I really do want to be in the mix of that conversation. So I'm, it always makes me mm-hmm. want to watch it even more. To, because then it's like, it's exciting. Like, for example, this is random, but I remember like about a year ago, I watched Fanny and Alexander for the first time, the Bergman movie. Movie. And that mm. movie, of course, has been out for decades. So nobody wanted to talk to me about that. <laughs> well, also, that's and like, I was like lit up. That's by the, it, you know, and I wanted to talk to everybody about it. That's such a film school movie, also. 
So yeah. they've already yes. talked about it and written papers about yes. it. And yeah. That's an extreme example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like everyone's like, like if I just one day went, you guys, have you ever seen this movie Taxi Driver? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, That's yeah. sort of the journey I'm working on now <laughs> or for the last couple of years I've been uh, because I've kind of always been uh, a person who I'm just drawn towards like the cult films the mm-hmm. weird stuff no one's ever heard of um, that I found like I got a secret link to something or you right. know, like, like discovery. <laughs> yeah yeah I love the discovery I love the journey of like finding something so but but I've been like that my whole life my dad was into cult movies and got me into it so I've just kind of always been like that but then I have missed all of the normal stuff that anybody else has watched <laughs> And like, so now I, the last couple of years have been more intentionally trying to be like, what are the movies everybody knows? And let me watch those. So I have some idea what people are talking about when they reference this crap constantly. And like Scorsese movies were, <laughs> were on that list. I'd never, I don't think I'd ever watched I'm one. I'm <laughs> even more excited to follow your account on Instagram and then your journey <laughs> now say, knowing this. I want to see. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just rewatched. Well, we can talk about it later, but I, um, remind me. I, I just rewatched After Hours and it just like mm. blew my mind again. Or rather, yeah. I just yeah. saw that for the first time like last year and I was like, it's crazy how Scorsese is like so good. It's weird. Um, <laughs> wait. Hot, hot, hot Everybody else is guys. like, uh, yeah. Little we've guy been called knowing Scorsese. This since like 1975. He's good. <laughs> he's the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, watch out for this guy. Because okay? he's on to something. I don't know. He's got something here. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Sometimes it's like watching something that's like everyone has said is wonderful. And then it just exceeds your expectations so much mm-hmm. that you're just like, I don't know where to put this. But also yeah. there's something so up, there's something you know? so beautiful and respectful <laughs> about somebody discovering a director on their own without Later. it being yeah. and, and, and coming to that realization in the most pure form, which is their own personal mm-hmm. taste as opposed to Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in my life says this person is great and I'm gonna go along right. with yeah. the ride for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. I do have now I think I think people carry a lot of shame around not having seen some bigger movies. How sometimes, could you? But How do. could you? I, it, I don't I don't understand that either. There's too many beautiful things to watch. <laughs> but uh, I feel lucky now or like they feel like they're going to be stupid if they ask about something. But I feel lucky now because I, you know, have established myself as someone who knows a lot about film, but only like a very specific like niche of film. But I'm really smart on like this one weird shit. If you need something weird, you need short films like I got you. Um, so I found now people who respect my opinions and my knowledge, but still will be gentle with me <laughs> and help me through the things that normal people know without treating me like I'm a stupid idiot. Yeah, <laughs> it's that whole thing. I'm lucky that I yeah, have that we, for me. We need to like, it's 2023. <laughs> let's just stop it. Stop that. Let's stop the yeah, truly shaming people yeah. for not having seen something that we think is great. Yeah. Be open to the idea of sharing something you love with someone who's <laughs> never seen the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so That's exciting. That's what I always say. Yeah. As mm-hmm. a film nerd, it's like, what's your favorite thing? One of your favorite things is like to share something you love with a friend who's never seen mm-hmm. it. It's so exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm also lucky because I like all this like weird random shit that I have this podcast to force people to talk about it yep. with me. So that- 
We should have picked Franny and Alexander. <laughs> Next time, you guys, sequel. So, <laughs> so that I, I don't have to have the thing where uh, I need other people around me to be talking about it because I can just force somebody to sit down with me yeah. and talk about Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> so you know what? This is all for me, and I love this. <laughs> we're, we're your new most supportive friends. We're here for you in this journey. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Allison, did you feel like you got to answer the initial question? What was it about? We kind of took approach... over the conversation. Kind of... No, I love it. I was loving what direction it was going. In. I just want to make sure that you felt yeah, that you also felt heard on your journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think it's pretty similar. I mean, I, I went to film school, so I watched most of the film school movies mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But I'm mm-hmm. and then I became a. I've always been an indie film fan, just like whatever weird specific kind of thing I can I can see and then got really obsessed with horror movies about 15 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. So now that's my chief obsession. But basically Shudder and Criterion is like mostly where I live. Mm, like hell trying yeah. to watch as many. But I'm always like trying to find more, you know, I think every nerd is trying to find like more, you know, the unseen gems, right? Like what yeah. what, what films need us to talk about them in public? <laughs> absolutely like spread the word (laughs) yeah so you will best believe i will be sending you emails being like do you know of movies that are like this because that's you totally can that's an open invitation to anyone i love it when people ask me for rex and i might have to think about it for a moment but i love coming up with lists for people well that's why i was like let me not Mm -hmm. ask her on the pod i'll just email her (laughs) later so she can use her big beautiful brain to come up with a cool (laughs) list of stuff the other thing too i do is that i definitely watch films uh, I think as every filmmaker does, like around whatever you're creating at the moment. Like I'm writing a haunted mm, house yeah. story right now, so I'm just enmeshed and trying and to get inspiration. Things, yeah, all things around yeah. that, and remembering like why you love this kind of movie. Like what is it yeah. about it that you love, and what is it about it that you feel like hasn't been explored that you can make your own. You know. Yeah, and maybe trying not to do the same stuff that everyone has done already. Always. Yeah. Yes, I think half of the conversations I had with Kim was her going, it's okay, Allie, it's weird enough. <laughs> maybe not weird. Not weird. If there were lots of conversations about it not being Unique. dark enough. Yes. No, it's very specifically dark. I'm like, yes. yeah. this film is about pedophilia and murder. Like, it doesn't get darker, <laughs> truly. It's pretty dark. Truly doesn't get darker. No. And- it's very scary. Uh, it, it was surprisingly scary to me for basically being a movie that has two people in it for the majority of the movie. I felt very scared. Oh, so. thank you so much. <laughs> so nice. Um, that was surprising to me. I just didn't expect to be so scared. You were right, Kim. Nothing to worry okay. about. <laughs> I don't think that you have anything to We should to worry deliver about. the film no, now, then. It was good. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I feel Are we like locked? there's still we lock a few it? things that I want to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into what yeah. we picked for today. We picked the 2020 film Apples, uh, some of that freaky Greeky <laughs> film. Uh, this is the third uh, Greek weirdo film that I've done on the pod for this year. They won't be exactly in order, but... <laughs> It's just kind of random that it's happened that way. So this is written and directed by Christos Niku, who people will know from being uh, the AD from Dogtooth, famous Yorgos Lanthimos film. Um, He also has a short called KM that's pretty cool. This is his feature debut. So you guys are having a kinship here. (laughs) Having a feature debut. This also stars Aris Servitalis, who was in Alps and Elle that 
I've done on the pod now. He's also in KM, the short. He's, he's the go-to guy. He's the go-to guy. And for good yeah. reason. I mean, he's amazing. He is. Also, a couple of deeper credits. Kate Blanchett is the executive producer on this movie, which is like the most random thing on earth. And... Stavros Raptis, who co-wrote, produced, and was the casting director on this film, was also the casting director on Elle, which I have done on the pod, and casting director on Triangle of Sadness, and acts in the film Elle, which I just said I did on the pod. So that's the cast and crew that I have to mention, because everyone else is um, just in Greek stuff I've never heard of. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, so uh, this was on my list. I don't know if you guys picked it off my list or you picked it at random. No, at random? Kim, That's amazing. Kim picked it at random, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so Kim, do you want to say again, because you kind of said it before we were technically inside the pod, why you picked this movie? <laughs> so I know it did not come out last year. It's a film mm-hmm. I saw last year. It was my favorite film that I saw I last think, year. I think actually it was released. It got its U.S. release okay, last so year. Okay, so my favorite yeah. U.S. release of last year. It was... It's a film that I knew nothing about going into it. It was recommended by probably my most tasteful friend when it comes to film recommendations. And uh, I trusted her wholeheartedly, and I was so glad I did. Um, (laughs) I saw it in a theater here in the L.A. area and left just, like, hardly able to talk to people because I just wanted to sit and process the film uh, and be with my own thoughts about it. Um, And so now, probably a year later, later, I'm so ready ready to talk talk about it with the two of you. (laughs) Hell yeah. And so, Allison, had you heard of this before? Or what was your No, reaction? I mean, no. I, you know, um, I trust Kim's taste uh, implicitly. And so she mm-hmm. said, you know, watch this film. And, and to the point where when she suggested it, I was like, well, if you love it, I'll let's say this is the movie and then I'll watch it and we'll see. She's like, no, Allie, mm-hmm. watch it and make sure you want to talk about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I I really, I was really struck by it. It has such a unique tone yeah. and such a unique way of approaching this kind of story uh, that, yeah, I was really stunned. And the lead performance is really, yeah, he really He's does amazing. a tight, he does a real tightrope walk of, of trying to, you know, uh, maintain mm-hmm. the mystery, maintain the sort of the, what is he living with? Is it grief or amnesia? You know, all of these mm-hmm. sorts of things. And I think he did just a terrific job. And he's absolutely, it's such a, this is such a cliche director thing to say, but man, he has a face you just want to photograph the hell out of. He does, yeah. <laughs> you know? As evidenced by him yeah. being in every movie I'm doing for the podcast yes. this year. I completely understand why everybody's like, my turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I initially, I don't remember exactly how I found this movie, but I feel like the poster had something to do with it because the poster is so cool. It's where wild. it just like looks like an apple peel and it turns into his head. <laughs> I don't know that that just looks sick it's very like... it's very cool and one of the things that made me the most anxious about the movie was that he would constantly peel an apple in his hand mm-hmm. like not on a plate I was That's like such a gonna, mom, how do you not cut yourself that is such a mom response <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed he never peeled an apple quite like how it is peeled on the poster which I That's was a little true. disappointed about I know his game He's wasn't chunking quite... it off he was yeah. just yeah he wasn't taking the peel off he was just taking the no. pieces yeah it's true disappointing so i was disappointed by that um (laughs) but no so i feel like the poster is what drew me to this movie and it just i love all the greek films that i've seen some of whom have crossover with this movie uh so you know i just was drawn to it for that reason but this sat on my list of movies to do for the podcast for a long time and nobody had picked it so last month finally i was like fuck it i'm gonna watch this movie because i really want to see it and nobody's picking oh. it and then 
And then look, you guys picked it right well, after this that. Well, this is great because <laughs> you and I, this was second watch for us. And Allie, mm-hmm. it was first watch. And I do think it's yeah. a different film on second watch. I mean. I think so, too. I think so, too. But no less engrossing, mm-hmm. entertaining. I liked it on the first. You liked it on the on, first. But yeah. it, I'm just, I feel like yeah. I'm a different person watching it a second time. <laughs> oh, 100%. Well, I think anything that has any sort of um, mystery or any any sort of like self-reflection like that it's like that makes mm-hmm. you want to rewatch it even more and it really has a lot of reward for it i just rewatched it i watched it the first time when we sort of set the appointment for this and then i just rewatched it a uh, night before last and yeah it is so we've like all a seen yeah. it twice yeah right. oh i'm way wow. too thorough a girl scout there's no way i would have watched it <laughs> once <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> okay so as far as critic scores this movie is great 93 percent on rotten tomatoes 82 percent of uh, google users gave this a thumbs up i have a plot summary would one of you like to read it Allie, do it sure i'll do it yeah send it send it my way here's the plot summary for apples <laughs> you can do a voice if you want a trailer voice <laughs> i know i wish i was i wish i was any kind of a performer um <laughs> As an unpredictable sweeping pandemic causes people to develop sudden amnesia, a man finds himself enrolled in a recovery program designed to help him build a new life from scratch. His treatment, performing daily tasks prescribed, always a hard word, prescribed (laughs) by his doctors on cassette tape and capturing them with a Polaroid camera. Also, can we talk about the crossover of cassette tapes in our film versus Apple's? (laughs) Just kidding. Yes. <laughs> Not the important thing to discuss. It just we're both me. using analog technology. Yeah, are, they, are they even real <laughs> memories if they are not on cassette tape somewhere or Polaroid? Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> something we can discuss. <laughs> Let's just start with the visuals of this movie, how it looks, and then we'll go into the story. Well, first of all, it's gorgeous, just plainly. <laughs> Yes, I really thought this movie was gorgeous. I love the coloring, mm-hmm. um, but also it's shot in a four three aspect ratio, which is you know not full screen, which yeah. is the same aspect ratio as Polaroid film, which is part of that choice there. But also um. they wanted to have a more nostalgic approach, so like older TVs are in this ratio, and that it, it's literally called the portrait ratio. And Christos wanted to create something that looks more conceptual but with the portrait ratio so that we focus on the main character and not the world because it it is more of a character study so that we're a little more tight on the character also uh so i just thought that was kind of a cool background on the aspect ratio that that is some cool background i think you know it's funny that you say that though because what the chief stuff that I remember, obviously, apart from this incredible face that we get to see a lot of um, mm-hmm. in all of that expression that he brings to it. But it's also like the way that he looks so oppressed in his world. I actually keep, mm-hmm. kept thinking about all of those beautiful wide shots of like just buildings way above him and the way that he exists in the spaces that he is. He doesn't seem comfortable anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And having that tighter shot can... Uh amplify that as well absolutely yeah so the contrast of those two i thought that was very compelling yeah there was a lot of choreography between his movements and the cinematography in general Mm -hmm. like there's little these little moments like where he's i don't want to get too far ahead but like there's a moment where he sticks his foot out to stop a door from closing so he can get in the the building that's Mm -hmm. locked and it's this chaplain-esque like 
his leg fully extended in the most awkward way out. And so the person Mm -hmm. has to kind of walk over his leg to get past him. But he does it with Mm -hmm. this kind of faux confidence and this vulnerable daring of like challenge me, if you will, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just every his physicality is wonderful. And it it's captured so well with the patients behind the lens as well. You know, just the way they follow Mm -hmm. him, the focus that they choose, the things they choose to yeah. Like letting other the camera loves letting him. other characters come and go <laughs> and just knowing that person went. We don't have to like see the whole world and yeah. see where they're going and see everything around us. It's not important that this is the world. Yeah. I think that uh, on that, this film does do a really great job of bringing you into a strange world and giving you just enough so quickly that you have all the information you need and there aren't a lot of questions, even though there's not a ton of information given so like they have an amnesia based pandemic going on people are getting amnesia left and right we don't have any details about this amnesia based pandemic we don't know uh what's causing it where it started exactly how widespread is it we can kind of glean that it's ubiquitous enough it's it's around enough that people are aware that it is existing that it is a problem and they're kind of learning to live around it we also don't know the main character's background for most of the movie. Really, even at the end, we only know a little bit. We don't know where he's coming from. What's his deal? There's no flashbacks to his earlier life. Does he have family? Like, there's no voiceover. Nothing of that sort. So we really come in with almost no information. <laughs> but they give you just enough setup that... Um, that I I felt comfortable. I didn't feel unsupported in the film. Yeah, it's really clear by a stripped away backstory that this is about taking a human being at face value and experiencing life and emotions with them in real time, as opposed to Mm -hmm. coming in with any preconceived notions of who they are. Uh, And I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love the most about this film is... uh, it is, you know, you, you feel the awkwardness at the beginning. Uh, you, you know, it's clearly a man in grief and disarray. He's in a place that's very mm-hmm. sloppy. Um, he's sh- shuttered in to his space. There's no sunshine. There's hardly any light. And he's slouched and watching television. You get a sense of some routine with him, but it seems like a begrudging sort of routine. And you do catch pieces of the world as they go, like our first... We get very quickly to see someone instantly inflicted with this amnesia and what happens, Mm. uh, you know, the chain of events that happens once somebody's inflicted and and the way the woman reacts to, you know, it's a, it's a man has crashed his car a little bit or, you know, parked his car in the middle of traffic and this woman approaches him and says, can you please move your car? And he doesn't remember that it's his car. He then clearly Mm -hmm. doesn't know where he is and who he is. And she just sort of calmly takes it in and knows what she needs to do next, which is to call the ambulance. And so it just... She's like, oh, okay, you just wait here. I'll take care of this. And to your point... She isn't panicked. She's... This is what we do. It's just just first responder kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that it's like a person who has probably done this before. And this this is routine in their lives. And him yeah. watching it, too, he sort of just walks past it with no sense of, oh, this woman's got it. I don't need to interact with this or engage with yeah. this in any way. And it really does seem pretty commonplace. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that juxtaposition for us as an audience. It feels outlandish. And for everyone that's going through this, everything is so clinical and routine. Yeah. For them, it's normal. Yeah. And I, I found it really impactful on two personal levels, one of which I think, you know, is, of course, universal, which is we've all been going through this pandemic and it's been going mm-hmm. on for years. And of course, we're figuring out how to learn with to live with it. There are programs that weren't there at the start, you know, those sorts of things. They They obviously all have flaws but their attempts but also all of the like um, the bureaucracy of it and the exams and everything just uh, struck a chord with me with all of my my daughter's treatments and um, Mm, assessments mm -hmm. and things like that and the way that like it felt very harsh when they were talking about your you know you have amnesia you have amnesia your test your scans are clear but here we are and so okay now we go on and you might not ever see anybody that you love okay like just the clear, yeah. just that kind of like dryness that mm-hmm. so often will exist in sort of bureaucracy and the medical community, which mostly mm-hmm. we've had lovely experiences with. But there's definitely some of that that I think comes from a place of like um, exhaustion, right? Yeah, or like they see it all the time and they forget yeah. that you haven't seen it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. That's <laughs> this guy's first time in that bed, but for them, they've done said this to two hundred yeah. people or whatever. Yeah, I work in. As not I'm not a doctor, but I work in the medical field. I work for um, a health department uh, in STDs and HIV, and Thank I you. see the same thing in my <laughs> in my coworkers. Often, it's like you know we're used to talking about a lot. Even I mean, with STDs and HIV, especially like there's so much stigma surrounding it that right. like a lot of people are not even comfortable talking about any of it, <laughs> like oh, wow. sex, yeah. you know physicality anything so you know we talk about it with each other all the time I mean sure. there's no there's no filter and we're, we're so used to it that um I do think you know I see that in my profession too I guess is all I'm getting at yeah I think it's a, <laughs> I, I imagine it's People a pretty universal forget. feeling even apart mm-hmm. from the COVID experience it's like there's there's a lot of these things where times in life when you are put in a very vulnerable position and uh, the people around you are just too used to the reality of it to be as empathetic as they should be. I find that yeah. the times that I've been in those situations, though, too, it's there is something almost comforting about people treating something that is True. seemingly shameful with mm-hmm. a little bit of matter of fact, like this is life. We are human beings. Our bodies break down yeah. and things happen. And there is yeah. nothing to be ashamed of in this moment. So let's just talk about the reality of what's happening to you. And I, I think especially in what you're saying, uh, Kayla, about the, the, you know, the conversations around STD, it, it, there is a little bit of like being an advocate for people and being an ally for people that comes with, I'm going to talk to you in the most real terms because there is no reason for us to sugarcoat this because there's nothing for you to be ashamed of in this moment. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking too when you were saying that. I was like... Oh, that's actually kind of a a time when it's kind of good to be like, there's nothing wrong with this. Let's just talk about it. Yeah, I think ultimately it's beneficial, but there does need to be a little bit of uh, a soft padding. Yeah, sensitivity. I I do think, though, like when we're taking it back to what we were saying about, you know, first watch Mm -hmm. versus second watch of this film. One thing that I was really struck Mm -hmm. by and kind of took a note on was the first time I watched this, it's you're just kind of following this man into this world and trying to get as much information about not just him, but what's going on. And then when you go through the film and you come back to it and you know what's going on, it is such an opportunity to watch what this character, what this man is doing with this character and the layers of it mm-hmm. with the, um, yeah. he's not, he's not giving anything away, but he's also not hiding mm-hmm. his intentions at all. 
like you the clues are laid out they are laid bare for you to know that this man is (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know he's seeing an opportunity and he's he's fully taking it and uh it's so fun to go back and watch it and to pick up those clues like the when he first meets his temporary roommate when he is in the hospital and he's gone Mm -hmm. through all the analog documentation of the polaroids the triplicate forms that he's have been filled out and he's sitting in this room just you know eating an apple and talking to his new roommate about their experience and what happened happened to them like how they knew they were inflicted and you can see that he has not mm-hmm. much to offer yeah. as a story, but that he's picking up on what his roommate is telling mm. him happened to him so that he and can then it. use it with the doctors in the, the next, next scene. scene. Yeah, um, It's great. I, I mean, it's just the way he stays ahead of the audience is so appreciated. <laughs> I think probably even, uh, you know, third or fourth watches could still be pretty rewarding on yeah. this film. <laughs> There's always a different way to interpret or another depth uh, with which to interpret. Yeah, who are you when you're watching doing? it? What is the feelings that you're bringing to it? I mean, that's the thing about these films yeah. where you don't, where you go in with this like kind of clean vessel of a human being as the lead character. It's like you kind of do get to project mm-hmm. yourself and how you're feeling in the moment on this person. Yeah, I think also it's interesting that because we're not given any background on him and then like basically pretty instantly he quote-unquote loses his memory whether or not he actually goes through a losing his memory you know that's a different thing but that kind of also gives us a blank slate to determine how much of his memory is his personality um, which I think is something that the film is addressing ultimately as a theme so I just think that's like a a cool way to do it in in a further way that not giving us a backstory on him benefits the movie yeah you get these little clues with with him and with the woman that he ultimately befriends with like when the doctors sneak into his apartment and taste his soup and it's such a good soup Mm -hmm. and you get the sense that like oh i mean it's a little bit of like on first watch you're like rules of the amnesia do they just they don't forget craft that they were you know particularly Mm -hmm. apt at how much do they still know how to do and then on the second watch when you know that he's sort of uh bluffing the system a bit it's just that, you know, it, it's just such a beautiful, like, oh, and he was so good at making comfort food. <laughs> and you get a sense of who he was. And when she's, you know, there's a moment where yeah. they're hanging out together um, and she's standing on her hands and she can stand. She's discovered that she can stand on her hands for four minutes or what she thinks is four minutes. Yeah. And she must yeah. have been a gymnast. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's such an adorable <laughs> moment, but it is... I mean, it's just these little, these brief little scenes where you, you, you kind of get a sense of not only are they trying to figure out who they are going forward, but they're still trying to pick up the clues of who they were. And there's so much meaning to the smallest things in their lives as a result of having nothing. Yeah. The way they carry themselves, the way they uh, cook soup or <laughs> how good of a storyteller are they even, you know, when she's describing the, the plot of Titanic to him. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. One of my favorite moments was her just, I think when we're introduced to her, right? When they're watching Texas Chainsaw and mm-hmm. she's fully watching it, like sitting, crouching behind the seat on the ground and just keeps yeah. like, it's so compelling because you're just like, are you this sensitive or are you this unexposed to scary movies? Mm. Well, you know, like yeah. it just gives Except you such a. I- 
am heavily exposed I mean, to horror movie. movies, and I still will watch that movie like that. Like I, <laughs> I saw, I saw both. Fair enough. It's yeah, important to I saw, remember that not everyone. Bones and all is the last movie I saw in public where it was like a a squeamish event for me. I was sitting mm-hmm. with yeah. a friend who had made the film, and I. I was trying so hard to hide my squeamishness because I was next to one of the filmmakers and I could not help it. And I had my knees closed up to my chest, like hugging my knees, watching that film and just still uh, for bones, for and, bones all. and all. Yeah. I mean, Which have you is, seen it? I mean, it's a, it is a deeply uncomfortable, it. beautiful, beautiful movie. It's one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my new favorite movies. I, yeah, I didn't really I, remember it being like, well, it's, I'm not you, squeamish at all, though. Gross. I guess if you're squeamish, did you it would block be. out the parts where they eat other human beings? <laughs> you might have gotten up at those. See, parts. I'm I'm a deranged little but fucker, yeah, and I think that's, that's exactly cool right. To Ali's point, it's like she is squeamish as hell sitting there, and then his reaction to it is like, "Oh, this is brutal," but it's not. But it's also like such a great choice. We're proving the system yeah. right now. Yeah, I I have to give. It's such I'm, I'm not bothered by like guts or shit or puke or. Like any of that stuff, I love it. I want to see more of it uh, in film. Yeah. Well, I, I <laughs> but I'm not really a horror person. <laughs> really, I'm not. I'm not really a huge horror person. I like something fucked up. I like something twisted. But like straight up horror, generally, not huge on it. I so want to unpack that. <laughs> 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 no just it, it always makes me wonder like because then, then it's like is that a conversation about what is what can what what do you consider a horror film or is it like that you see you feel like you see a lot of those kinds of things in in totally different genres because it just seems that's what i mean by unpacking not like what's your personal baggage about those things or whatever it might be what's that sorry i didn't mean to offend you <laughs> no no and you weren't offending me at all i was just fascinated by it i was like what does that mean you're you're our bread and butter <laughs> yeah i think that's exactly right like there's a certain part of me that goes whenever somebody says like you know what scares them what doesn't scare them i'm like breaking out a notebook like tell me i think i don't <laughs> I don't always love being scared in general. That's good and that's I can watch good and healthy. stuff that's scary sometimes. That's yeah, reasonable. I think it's probably good and healthy. That's not. I don't like being scared, but I like watching stuff that's twisted, that's dark, that it's has people things. who, if you met them in real life, you'd be like, "This is horrifying." Um, but <laughs> but I think yeah, maybe I just don't like feeling scared, and I do like violence. Doesn't bother me. Uh, I mean, I don't want to watch like trauma porn or anything, uh, but <laughs> I have watched, I don't know, like some twisted stuff that I think is fun. Or we mentioned Dog Tooth oh, has yeah. like some violence in it or like ripping out her own teeth or what's the other movie? Um, we just did Alps for the podcast. The girl gets hit in the head with a oh. bat. I, I, I know. What I, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm like squeamish but just having it described to me. Or... <laughs> Uh yeah, I don't know. So like that stuff doesn't or I think of like the firm. Have either of you seen the yeah. firm the Alan Alan Clark movie? Yeah. Wait. Uh, yeah, we is, have. There's two there's two the firms. Oh. Nope. I don't know. Um, I have seen the other one. I was like, I love the firm with Tom Cruise. That's not what she means. Yeah, not the Tom Cruise <laughs> one. Understandable yeah. that we both thought that because Kayla did admit that there's a lot of movies that everyone has seen that she has not, and I was like ready to just discuss I think that's the what firm. my brain was doing. I was like Oh, yeah. Welcome to the film. Yeah. What'd no, you think? No, no. The Alan Clark one. <laughs> this was a BBC TV special from the year 1990. 
have to check it out. <laughs> Ever seen it? Uh- <laughs> That's just one that comes to mind because I watched it again recently, but it's also, it's very violent. I see. I get you. I, I'm it's it's kind of about like two dueling soccer teams in England. So like it's actually soccer is like a big deal or whatever. <laughs> um, and they're trying to sabotage hear, each other. That. You know? <laughs> so I hear that's like, true. I hear it's the they football just kinda, of England. Yeah. They whoop each other's ass a lot. It gets increasingly violent throughout the movie. They keep doing pranks. Well, <laughs> pranks is a... A gentler term than probably what's actually happening but they keep doing pranks on each other uh to try and sabotage the other team and the pranks are like you know slit somebody's face open with a razor or light their car on fire or stuff like that <laughs> it sounds like, like lord of the flies but in public I like, like out I, in the city yeah basically it's I'm similar. a big fan yeah. of your choice of words there with uh <laughs> these prank these that's like, why I said it's probably like, a gentler word that I should use. They just have a twinkle in their eye violence. as they slit a guy's face open. It stars like Gary Oldman, I think, but it's like it's old. It's like from 1990, so uh, it's it's a young man. That just made me laugh so much because I was picturing like Gary Oldman and Tim Roth. Yeah, well, those are like they. Uh, Tim Roth is in Alan Clark's first feature, Made in Britain, which is also fairly violent. Not quite as violent, but he plays a skinhead. What's that so, one called? Made in Britain. Yeah, I have seen that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day. Yeah. That one's a little more of like a character study than like something really violent. But uh, yeah, Alan Clark's kind of known for making really violent, bleak, fucked up British movies. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> King. <laughs> uh, anyway, but this is not Alan Clark podcast. How do we hear? It could be. I'm just gonna circle back around. I also wanted to say about the beginning of the movie. I think there's something really yeah. interesting about we see him alone in his apartment, and like I think it's the very next thing we see him do is walk out and see this episode of this person having this amnesia mm-hmm. break. However, that's you what say I'm that. saying. Like 30 seconds into the movie, the it's, whole shit is set up for you. Yeah, it's so efficient, but it also I think um, on the rewatch it really struck me as like, oh, he like walked outside and went, oh, that's what I'll do. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for the brainstorming. Also, while while he's in his apartment, which is very short amount of time, on the radio you hear them talking about this yeah. memory clinic or whatever yeah. they call it. He's going to let the government take care of him while he mends his broken heart. Aw. Well, damn. This also the whole the whole grief aspect of this movie. The writer and director of this film wrote this right after he lost his father. So it, it was kind of coming from a, a real place for him that he turned into something insane, which is how you deal with stuff if you're normal. Yeah, <laughs> I do that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a beautiful tribute to that, too. I mean... Yeah. I, you know, something I didn't get the first time that I got the second time, because, of course, you can't get all of the details necessarily, but just that routine yeah. of buying the flowers and then realizing at mm-hmm. the end that those are flowers that he was taking to his wife's grave. Mm-hmm. I just it's it's just little pieces like that. And then you have to give it up for the like the government for coming up with these little tasks for him to do and to document mm-hmm. uh, because it really does lead him back to his life. <laughs> In a sense, um, in this really beautiful way. Totally. This is my way of saying I want to get into like what they made these people do. We want to get into the meat. Just wanted to make sure we hit everything before we get there. Okay, so I just have like two more things on on the theme and actually the title also before we get into what's going on with their program. Um, Okay, so I mentioned that this was inspired partially by the loss of 
uh, the director's father. The title of this film, Apples, is partially also attributed to his late father, who had a fantastic memory and ate up to eight apples per day. But the second theme that I don't love as much, but is a huge part of what he talks about when he talks about this film, is sort of an anti-social media theme. So the second part of the apples thing is Mm. we store all our memories on this device uh, that are made by a company called Apple. (laughs) All of our memories are there and all of our data is there in the apple. I think if you take the word apple out of that, it is, it's a write on theme. Like, like, so I just get really tired by like anti-phone, anti-social media Well, here's the thing. My son just celebrated his fifth birthday. We realized Mm -hmm. all of our photos of him, except for a few that we framed, all of them Mm -hmm. are on our Instagram accounts (laughs) or in a Google Mm -hmm. Cloud folder, right? So I have been, I've tasked myself with creating photo books for our family because Mm -hmm. we recently lost a loved one. My, My husband's... Mm -hmm. Mom died last year. And, you know, we started going through her archives of her family. She has five kids. They're adults now. Um, She has grandkids. And it's just there are uh, pieces of of some of the kids' childhood, the younger kids, that they just don't have any photographic evidence of because she lost a hard drive that had their childhood photos on it. And um, the older kids, everything was analog, you know, like analog, it was like hard, Mm -hmm. hard copies of photos, or it's on film, it's on negatives, it's, you know, they were, we were able to kind of rebuild their childhood with her. Mm -hmm. And I think it is loss that leads us to think about how important these tactile memories are. Yeah. And so hearing that, I, I know that it can feel tired, but he put Mm -hmm. it in this context in a, it, this is the right context for that idea. This is, you know, it is, yeah. it is, uh, and, and as we watch them go through these, you know, rites of passage, if you will, in the film and document it, they're not necessarily documenting the actual acts of it. They're documenting how they felt afterwards. And there's just a mm-hmm. lot to say about <laughs> photos and what they mean to us and how we yeah. treat them and how we archive them and, how we would feel if those things are gone, you know? Yeah, I I totally get that aspect of it, of like not having something tangible if you are going to have that stuff. But like parts of other stuff he talked about was like he went to a Nick Cave concert and he was like everybody there was just filming the concert on their phones, which is annoying. But he's like people aren't like experiencing right. the moment because they're on their phones. They're not feeling what they're actually going through or they're just doing stuff for the purpose of documenting posting. it on their yeah. phone. Yeah, for the purpose of posting rather than like having an experience that they're engaging with and creating a memory that they're going to live with and a feeling that they live with. They're basically avoiding emotion by experiencing the world through their phone. Yeah, I don't believe that we should be telling people how they should collect memories or in what way I that's where the argument breaks down for me is like you know people are doing their best but what you were saying your point of like not not ever having like a tangible thing I totally get yeah or just or just not having a reliable way to document your life and Mm -hmm. and and for us it wasn't even 
the photos themselves that mattered. It was the trigger effect. Like, what did these photos bring Mm -hmm. up for the family and how therapeutic was it for us to talk about these memories? Like, after her funeral, we we watched videos from our uh, my mother-in-law's wedding. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, VHS. And it was very similar, you know, filming to this of just a fly on the wall capturing these moments and, you know, families singing songs together and getting ready to um, marry off their daughter and just getting to see this woman at the beginning of a marriage, you know, that we saw, we saw the end of, you know, so it's, it's just those kinds of things. It wasn't even about, it wasn't even about the VHS. It wasn't about the photo. It was about, it was about like the conversation, the conversation around what we were seeing and, and how it made us feel and how it was healing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. some of the kids who had their, you know, their photos, weren't as abundant (laughs) as others because of the lost hard drive. I think they, you know, it was, there was a lot of wonder still there. It's not to say that they didn't have any memories of the time, but it was just, you know, you could see that there was a little less participation as a result. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, this whole idea that like, I don't know, just especially as (laughs) filmmakers to say that someone can't fully be engaged in, the world around them and take film and photos of something to me is a little hypocritical <laughs> because yeah. it's how we live our lives, you know? Uh, so yeah. I, yeah. I, I do think like there's actual scientific, you know, there's, there's data to show that like social media can cause depression and a lack of connection and all of these things, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. And it's not necessarily how everyone's using it or how everyone's feeling around it. And right. Or even how the majority. Yeah. Of and, are using it or feeling But I do think, mm-hmm. too, when people go through these traumatic grief moments, there is this sense of, oh, now I've figured out how to live life and I'm going to tell other people how to live life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think anything big like that that does make you, yes, reflect on your life, it does kind of cause that. It's interesting that you're saying all this, though, because I had such an opposite feeling of it, which is that it felt the approach of, of using the Polaroids and using these tapes, it felt so disconnected and so cynical to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really felt like they did a good job of trying, you could see the human effort in trying to pick very human experiences. And that was part of the education or the like, rebuilding. But it also just felt a little, it was so clinical. But then it, I think that's also part of where the great tone comes in. There's so much humor in this movie that comes, I think, from this, like, just abs- the absurdity yeah. of watching a man who can't remember how to ride a bike, try to ride a bike, and not just a bike, but a child's bike, and then pose just like trying to pose cool on child's bike. Yeah, I don't so want to conflate what I'm saying with a... <sighs> yeah. uh, props to the way they're documenting things because I think it can be I think it has to be both I think it has to be both things it's a world that has recognized the importance of of memory because an entire world has had its memory wiped and now they're not relying on you know it's not clear what era this is in because you never see you don't really see phones when they get in contact with each other it's not by phone it's mm-hmm. or they they have telephones i think it's kind of an alternate yeah universe. it's like, like it, the phones don't ex- they said it's somewhere in the recent past but there's like they have ipads there's like an advertisement for like a memory plus tablet 
in the background at some point. But it's clear that they've gone to a system. But there's no cell phones. Yes, they, yeah. they are, mm-hmm. They've gone to a system that they've found is more reliable, which is Polaroids, which mm-hmm. is the four track tapes that they're using when they play the music for um, the, the pop culture references. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, ima- yeah. I imagined that they watched Titanic on VHS <laughs> somewhere. True, that's true. <laughs> if not in a theater on a projection. Even the movie they're watching was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. which is like 19... 19- 80s or 70s I don't remember when the first that's one right came out. and and so and <laughs> but. so but but like I was saying before and and to your point Ali it's like you're not documenting the actual event yeah. you're documenting the person afterwards and he does it with so little it's like you don't get a sense of his feeling at that time like if I were to look at that yeah. photo and not have seen him do the trick or whatever I would have no sense of how this man is feeling when he <laughs> pops a wheelie or rides a little girl's bike in the park somewhere so it's not at yeah. all about documenting emotion, but it is documenting like an event or the aftermath of an event. And that is only going to yeah. have any kind of resonance for him himself, uh, like a trigger for like how he felt when he did that thing, if he felt anything mm. at all. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the, the the way that they describe some of the assignments, too, where it's like, you go to there and you may touch the woman in any way you want or whatever. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, you get the sense you get the sense that they recognize that human beings are transgressive and they are. Yeah, they in order to be a complete <laughs> human being, you have to have a dark side ultimately, too, and some kind of regret behind you. And I I love the way they describe some of these things as the easy part where it's like. The one night stand, you use a person, there's a car wreck, Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's so yeah, this this program is spearheaded by two doctors who what we're describing is that they assign tasks to the people in the program on a cassette tape. And each day, it doesn't really say what period of time passes in between, but whatever, every so often, (laughs) these people are playing a tape and getting a new task assigned to them for what they need to go out and do and then take a Polaroid of. And it seems like all of the people in this program have the same sequence of events, which get increasingly more detailed and a little more twisted as as they come through. So actually, before they're even assigned anything, before you even know that this is a thing, there was sort of like a throwaway scene, which I picked up on rewatch. And on first watch, you would have no idea. But uh, while they're still in the hospital there is like a cutaway where you see the two doctors talking and the woman doctor mentions having having them go to a protest yeah she's like i went to one in in college it was a great experience for me and the guy's like oh yeah i'll have them bring a molotov cocktail they might maybe they'll need it (laughs) and she's like wow that's extreme i just thought they would go and like be in the crowd and create a memory oh yeah yeah okay i'll write that down and i'll record it later so like you don't know at that point that like what is happening there. But on second watch, I was like that. That's so funny. And it's for no one watching this for the first it time. It is for no <laughs> one watching this for the first time. It's also like part of the larger conversation of the government's role yeah. in this whole thing. And they're <laughs> under- stumbling through it. Yeah. Their callous yeah. understanding of humans and human nature. And it's. Yeah, I just it they're just like spitballing yes. like things memories they have in their personal lives that like felt like they meant something yeah. to them or sparked some kind of emotion in yes. them. And yeah. and also, and you know, that protest down. moment too kind of uh for me it 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 sort of sealed sealed the idea of uh, the side effect of what they're doing too. 
is that they are creating community in a weird way, like not not at all their intention, <laughs> but thinking right. about how mm-hmm. we make friends and how we bond with people. And a lot of times it is over like, what is common between us and what is not common between us? And how can we learn from each other? And they are yeah. giving all of these people these common rites of passage that will then mm-hmm. create like ways for them to bond with people going forward and to have human mm. or you know human commonality and uh joining you do also see like once he does meet this woman the only thing they have in common is that neither of them remembers anything and that they've just seen <laughs> texas Chainsaw <laughs> massacre yeah yeah so like Great okay start. we have these two things like that's run with that but the more that the more time they spend together I, you do feel how it's empty like it doesn't they're not connecting on any deeper level they don't have anything to talk about um he even thinks she's kind of stupid I, you know i wonder about that like. because because obviously <laughs> there's the the one night stand between them that he does not know yeah. is a part of the program at yeah. all he right i think even at that point he was kind but of he like lays in bed all night they, yeah. they imply he stays up he lays in bed all night clearly wide mm-hmm. awake thinking about what has just happened and then goes to her home and we don't know why he's yeah. going there we never find out why but then he clearly feels rejected when he discovers that a she's not returning his calls if you will and mm-hmm. b he got used and in hindsight yeah. you know like on because she was ahead of him in the program she was ahead to yes to the- yeah, so she got the task first to have the one night stand, and then later on to use somebody very specifically. The language is to, to use, use somebody. somebody and yeah. and fuck them in the bathroom after dancing with them, and then not talk yes. to them again specifically. Yeah. And so then, like a couple days later, he gets that same task, and he goes, "Oh, I was part of the thing. I got yes. played." And yeah. and it's you know it's on second watch. You know, it's a man who has his heart was broken when his wife Mm -hmm, died and it's his first time opening up to somebody else connecting to someone Mm -hmm. it's a woman that he's like maybe maybe she doesn't know how to add seconds up to four minutes but maybe it's her (laughs) and then he's rejected by somebody that wasn't his person and we get to experience that with him and then and then yeah i love when they ask him about it later (laughs) When they the doctors ask him about, so did did you do oh, the yeah, thing, yeah. the sex thing? And he's like, oh, oh yes. yeah, 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 I did it. I just was so drunk, I didn't take a photo. But just yeah, humiliation. And they seem sort of proud of that. Like, yeah, you got so out of control that you didn't even take a photo. Yeah, but but still very <laughs> professional. They keep it very professional. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I think it's also interesting. Again, like not to be too totally cynical about the the program that they use, but because I think there's so much beauty to it, but. The idea that it's like they've used these like things that like it's not requiring them to take someone home. It's like go fuck them in the toilet. And the fact that they use the word mm, toilet mm-hmm. never stops making me laugh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, and, and also that they're using tapes and Polaroids. So something that, you know, it's not like they're having to post it to social media and learn what a computer is. I just thought that was so mm-hmm. interesting just to see those like the process that they're that they're using that you know because they're not showing us some big global version of this pandemic you're seeing these little bitty ways throughout it was just so consistently smart and funny and weird that halloween party or costume party or whatever can we talk about that Mm -hmm. like can we talk about the astronaut costume the physicality again the physicality of this man (laughs) yes first of all the costume just in itself 
an amazing costume to yeah. wear. I mean, it just was gorgeous. The government but- provided that wonderful costume for him. <laughs> like amazing costumes. Our government would never, no, first of all, giving him, an, giving him an apartment, yeah. giving him That's all this stuff, setting thinking. him up with personal care, in-home care, basically. I know. I would lose my memory just... N- our government would <sighs> never, yeah. To have them pay for my soup ingredients. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but, but yeah, that costume looks incredible the party too there was a great joke where like somebody is dressed as batman yes and who loses his memory <laughs> yeah and they, they go does anyone know who batman is which is kind of a double like yes. do you know who this guy is but also like literally do you know who batman is because none of you guys have a memory <laughs> the setup so, the setup like... of that scene is so gorgeous too because it's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's making you think like Again, he is reminding you that he is one step ahead of you as a filmmaker. Yeah. And you're watching the faces of the people seeing, you know, with flashing lights across them, kind of a rosy glow. And you think at first, or at least I did, because the music is bumping, you think that it's a bunch of people watching a DJ and you just see the reflection mm-hmm. in his helmet, but you can't tell what's going on. And it's just flashing lights, et cetera. And then the music stops and it cuts to what they're actually looking at, which is a man in a Batman costume sitting in the back of an ambulance with first responders <laughs> trying to figure out if anyone knows who he is because mm-hmm. he's clearly the latest in the amnesia epidemic. And yeah. he just stays ahead of us every second of it. And and, and it doesn't yeah. feel like we're being put on or it's just like a joyful ride through what he wants to show us. Yeah. There's so much like for being like ultimately kind of a sad story um, or like a, a hardship that somebody that many people are going through. It is also really funny yes. throughout the film. <laughs> so it's like a really great tone. Um, the director calls it a melancholic smile tone. Perfect. Perfect uh, description. Which, I, I like know, that. That's, yeah. yeah. Perfect. He said he was inspired by the Truman Show <laughs> initially where it, it's like a sad story, but it's also really funny and it has this comedian in it who's being dramatic and there's like this weird cross tone that is yeah. awesome. So he, he was like, I love when the audience can laugh and cry and sometimes at the same time. And I also love it as a viewer. So that was also the movie that Truman Show, the movie that inspired him to become a filmmaker. In Which general. is also something that is such a that's such a gift you get when you have experienced death near you of mm-hmm. this. I mean, I think we all know life is very difficult and uh, harder mm-hmm. for some than others by a lot. And I don't believe in toxic positivity of just, you know, forcing yourself to be happy all the time. But there is something that y- mm-hmm. you get in the way of protection and sense of humor when you have seen some things. And yeah, yeah, this feels like such a it's the you can and tell this, you, you can feel the reaction to grief mm-hmm. is such a personal thing from the filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was just a, a depth and a tone that I really loved from this movie too. We're just all yeah. smiling at each other. You can't see that this podcast. Well, because I was just thinking <laughs> a chill, pensive smile. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. It's like this. The you know, I was just thinking about all the like so many of the funniest people that I know. Um, it's because they've almost always because they've seen so much loss or so much hardship or whatever that you just, yeah you, you appreciate, uh, like you're talking about that beautiful story about Pitter where you're talking about that, you know, watching these things together as a family and thinking about feeling gratitude for what you got to have together, you know, that I think when you have hardship like that or, or loss, it really, 
amps that up for folks. Or just Beautiful this thing. idea. Yeah, thank you. And and the idea that, you know, a lot of our great comedians in this world are people that have a lot of darkness in them. Yes. <laughs> there is a lot yeah. of <laughs> whatever it is, there is yeah. some pain that the humor is covering. Uh-huh. Not yeah. covering. You hope it's not covering. You hope it's a solve it's of some kind. But it's you're processing. Working, yeah. You're working through yes. it. Yeah. yeah and but- also, I think it, it costs you something to be creative. So, yes. you know, there's that too. But we, mm-hmm. I think you were saying you've had a lot of these, like, the Greek weird wave films. Mm-hmm. And they do tend to have this shared tone of, you know, very bizarre, clinical in some ways. But the humor coming out of the mm-hmm. clinical presentation of these things. And... It does feel like there is this uh, melancholy with a smile that kind of stems through all of it. Mm-hmm. And and just such a, a counterpoint to blockbuster movies that have superheroes in them and just very convoluted yeah. central sci-fi premise. And this one just does it with such simplicity and performance and... <laughs> such beauty, such yeah. grace. <laughs> yes. Such patience. I do find that this... Just, just in the, yeah. the I don't know if you would say genre, the wave, the Greek weird wave films, I do find that this is sort of an outlier to me. Like it, it, it feels a lot more gentle and a lot more um, sad and emotional than I guess most uh, weird wave movies that I've seen. And I also think the director hates that term, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It but does feel like he's trying I, to... I find it is an outlier. Yeah, he's trying mm-hmm. to share something and connect with people in a way that the others tend to not really respect (laughs) as much i think i don't know of a graceful way to say it it's not that they don't care about their audiences but it that's not the point yeah Yeah, that's not the point i'm I'm more quiet on this because i don't think i've seen a lot of the greek weird wave like are you talking about like because i haven't seen dog tooth oh my god you gotta watch dog tooth i have to see that Um, but yeah, see, there's always like exciting guests. Yeah. Yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos is pretty much the king of it. That's, I think what most people associate with the genre is just Yorgos films. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Dog tooth, killing of a sacred deer, um, the lobster. Love the lobster. And the cadence and the way people talk in this film is really similar to lobster and, uh, killing of a sacred deer. Mm -hmm. They're usually a little more deadpan, a little absurd, but also typically have some kind of commentary on society or on uh, Greek government or some kind of larger issue. But they're also, yeah, really deadpan, typically a little more violent than anything you see in here. But it's all delivered really deadpan and, and not connected with like a huge emotional reaction, even when what's happening would be like dramatic to somebody or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. That's just an explanation off the dome. I appreciate it. (laughs) Come to your own conclusions. (laughs) I know. Well, And if you want to see a a small cast Greek weird wave movie, watch L. I feel like nobody in the world seen it except for me and the person I forced to do it for the podcast coming up. Is it the, (laughs) is it just the letter L or like the name? Just the letter L. Okay. Just the letter L. Um, it also stars the same guy, but it's most of the movie is just him in a car by himself or in a car driving up and talking to other people. The majority of the movie is him in the car. He lives. He doesn't get out of the car. Awesome. So, so double feature it with Locke. That'll be a good time. Well, yeah. it's better than Locke. <laughs> I just have a I connection to of that it. movie because we have the same name. So. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's not a good one. I was think- comparing it in my mind to your own movie, which also has a very limited cast, <laughs> yes, but makes great use of having a small space and a limited cast. Oh, well, thank you. So, 
<laughs> that's where I was connected. <laughs> I didn't really like the movie Luck at all, but that's a whole other discussion, which I do want to have <laughs> with you though, because I really liked it. So I'm curious. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's. Ve- I find it's very. You either love it or you hate it. I don't really it's think extreme. there's a lot of people who are. Yeah, I get yeah. that. This is very similar to the way Allie and I would share references for her <laughs> film. There's like such. There's we're on such opposite ends of the spectrum in some ways, uh, as far as taste in films, and then there are these places where it just like perfectly collides and. <laughs> we would yeah. we would dance around it of like no i hate that i love that i hate it i hate it oh well we could both agree that this is a perfect film and so that's one of our references 100 <laughs> percent. it's so funny because oh, it's yeah. like you're definitely a person where like you say we don't always agree on a movie but i always trust your taste to be thoughtful and that's yeah, same, really like that's same. the exciting thing like talking to friends who are also cinephiles and filmmakers it's like if at least somebody's coming at it from a thoughtful place, like, I want to check out the thing you dig, you know, yeah. like, even if it, yeah. not, it ends up not being my thing, I just want to see mm-hmm. what genuinely is, like, turning the turning the noodle inside out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think it also sometimes harms my, well, I feel like it's not harmful, but if I want to watch more mainstream stuff, like, I feel like Locke is a little more mainstream. It's got a main actor in it, you know, it just was a little bigger of a release, um, that because I watch so much like weird stuff where people are really trying a lot of stuff and really doing more unique stuff that when I see it tried in something more commercial, I feel like they have never gone hard enough or mm. as hard as I've seen it from somebody who is doing whatever they want. You know what I mean? I, I totally know what you mean. I feel like that's a lot of the time when I'm watching <laughs> horror films. As much I as hate I love the way it, it's I'm always pretentious. No, I don't but... think that's pretentious. I think that's just like, do you, is something, again, is something really connecting with you? And sometimes like mm-hmm. going as far as you could possibly start to picture or being genuinely like shocked is a sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe that's too pedestrian, but it's like something that's really just getting to you. If it's not doing that, yeah. it's like, that's ultimately what we're always seeking is something that f- makes us feel part of this human connect condition in a way that we wouldn't have, that we feel like we hadn't seen before, but, but yeah. still also manages to be universal. Super easy trick. Yeah. <laughs> Films are complicated. <laughs> um, all right. So getting back to the movie, did we have anything else to say on the costume party or just that it looked cool? It as lo- well? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the way he walks in in slow motion, like totally in this character. And then later when he's, supposed to be listening to the tape uh but he has this mm-hmm. kind of noise canceling helmet on. helmet on and he's just sort of dancing mm-hmm. like an astronaut in slow motion by himself in his new apartment like he's it's vibing. just mm-hmm. these moments of levity that you need and the in all the slowness and it's it, it's one of the the best moments of it yeah oh absolutely you get it a sense like of who he used tr- to be like you really yes. do. Yeah. And later when he's dancing at the club, they go to a club and that's like where they, you know, go have sex in the toilet is again, I got to say toilet <laughs> um, is it, he's, <laughs> he is so cool. Like he's sitting there with like he's dancing well with a cocktail in his hand, which yeah. as a clumsy lady, I really admire <laughs> that with anybody can pull that off. And it's like he does have a sort of coolness to him. Like you get a feeling like his apartment, if you looked deeper, probably had a really great vinyl collection or something. Like he has a yeah. He has this sort of sophistication and this sort of like um I don't know, this this special way about it. But man, the choice of that astronaut costume 
it's it was one of those things like it was so good that it reminded me of like um in film school we studied the dead poet society a lot we talked about dead poet society for mm-hmm. probably too long but one of the things they talked about was when um the writer tom shulman i hope i'm not butchering that uh wrote it that when he was writing that i don't know if you remember this especially because i don't want to assume since i know you're catching up to some of the <laughs> um the i have seen that i think in high school but I think we watched it in school, actually. Oh, okay. There's probably, because I think it was popular <laughs> to be taught in school since it takes place at a high school. But it, mm-hmm. it, there's this moment where it's like the, the, I think it's Ethan Hawke gets a, gets a desk set from his father for his birthday. And it's the same mm-hmm. desk set every year. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's so, it just tells you, you know, that whole family that quickly. It's so, so smart. And it's telling you so much about the world. And that, so whenever I feel like I've written something that just is really getting that quickly, I always call it a desk set moment. And so for me, that mm-hmm. astronaut suit was like such a desk set moment because it's like, it's telling you so much about what it would feel like if you were trying to walk through this world with grief or walk through this world pretending, basically being an imposter, pretending to be somebody who, you know, who doesn't know what he's doing when he does know what he's doing. Yeah. And also it's just visually so damn interesting. And it's such a nice suit. Mm-hmm. It's not a shitty costume. Like they spent, no. like we said, they spent money on that costume. Why did they spend so much mm-hmm. money on it? And that's the <laughs> you know thing. What I mean? That's the thing. Yeah. Like it's choices like that. It's, it is a smart choice and it's a smart choice for the first time you watch it. And it's a smart choice yeah. with a different meaning entirely on the second time you watch the film layers every every choice they make because because you're seeing and experiencing so few objects in this film uh and people Mm -hmm. so this cast is relatively small the locations are few the objects are few every one of them has to count in a, a fresh interpretation on either side of that viewing and yeah every every little thing that does happen in this movie does add something there's not really any fat like every choice every the wearing of the costume every little thing that happens adds another layer to what's going on so it was a really good use and our our clues as to who this guy is or was yeah yeah Yeah. you feel like on first view you're along with him as he's trying to figure out who he is until Mm -hmm. for me on the first view he's eating the hot dog in the park and the neighbor dog recognizes him and that to there me, was one little moment yeah before the that. address thing in the in the, mm-hmm. the market uh where he just says he his says, old address i live up the street at yeah. 135 yes. oh sorry uh i mean number eight uh, yes eight. exactly <laughs> the the one with the yeah. dog where he very because that one to me was like oh did he is he getting a little bit of memory back and then the one that yes. seals the deal mm-hmm. is like he proactively throws the hot dog to get the dog away from him because he sees the neighbor coming and and he calls the dog by name too he's so he knows very the clearly dog. hiding yeah. from the neighbor yeah. i think on second watch that's what made me do it because kim and i chatted a bit after i watched it the first time and and i was like well i don't know if it's clear for sure that he's not amnesiac is that the term mm-hmm. uh and then rewatching it, I was like, oh, honey, <laughs> it's very clear. I really, yeah, it was interesting because we had kind of a conversation about how I kind of went off into a sort of sci-fi film expectation about government and how they're screwing us and all these things. And they're, they're actually just like, you know, uh, they're just not doing right by people or whatever. And she was like, really? Go back. There's like clear <laughs> it was, things that make you suspect it. Was it. Hard. it was hard clear. to have that conversation and not because like. I want to be open to people interpreting sure. art in different ways, but I was also sure. like, 
Yeah. That's not this movie, though. Like, <laughs> and I, I thought about yeah. it for a long time. I'm so glad you brought this up because I thought about it for, for a couple of days of like, is there that interpretation? And then when I watched it a second time, it's like, oh, you would have had to have missed these clues. Yeah. To get to, to you would have to have missed this moment. This, this, like, that's why every moment does really, like you said, Kay- uh, Kayla, it's, it's mm-hmm. like every moment is so important because if you miss one of them, you are yeah. missing a very valuable piece. And this puzzle does not work if you are missing any of the pieces i think you probably still could like later in the movie there's a time when he's buying apples and then somebody says oh the apples are great for your memory but nobody's buying them i don't know why so i i think you could apply that to like maybe the apples are helping him get some memory back that's what i was thinking i thought but and also he he's maybe running from something and doesn't want to get his memory back but that that was kind of where i was (laughs) a little bit too where i was like is it starting is he is he maybe like the one that's starting to you know have it start to come back Mm -hmm. and again because i felt like it's like you don't know how long this pandemic's been going on you don't know what they've been trying but it really struck Mm -hmm. me having seen my daughter go through so many different assessments and stuff that it's like all they did was assess they didn't actually try to do exercises before they just brought him into go into a new Mm -hmm. life and so that just felt so um Let's just say not thorough of the government. <laughs> I think I think Ali that that's an interesting perspective and it's one that's clearly unique to you in a sense and yeah, and that yeah. well and that makes sense. It's like your your yeah. personal experience with assessments. However, yeah. I will say that like that interpretation also takes away one of my favorite parts of the character, which is his yeah. his agency and the fact that he made this decision and it's it, such a better way of looking at it. Yeah, I like it's, it more. I, yeah, like not, it's not better, but like it, it is what this film is. It, it is what he's choosing yeah. to escape his grief or try well, yes, to. I meant also what a better way of approaching that story. Yeah, you know, because yeah. again, I think we and it, it's sort of like what we've talked about a lot in terms of what films we want to make. It's like there's there's movies that are like what I thought this movie was going to be, and then it was such a nice um, discovery to find that it was actually about this man's emotional journey. And not about yeah. the big bad government. But which also, I love those what, too. what is like, again, it's <laughs> comparing it to like, you know, big superhero movies or something where that's what the movie would have been about. You know, like yes. it would have been about the sci fi component of it or the twist or whatever. And it's not, that's not this movie. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, that's a nice This relief. is This is a character who has made a clear decision and we're watching him and going along with the ride. And it's a mystery for us at the beginning. And on second view, it's like, the clues are there. He's saying who he is. And we are watching yeah. a man run away from heartache and realizing he can't. Yeah. yeah. Or that running away from one heartache just leads to other yeah. heartaches in different ways. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that happens next is the girl taking him to crash her car. <laughs> I love that crashing your car was one of their tasks that they had to do. You don't know for a long time that that's what they're doing. I mean, you just know that they're driving. Also interesting that they remember how to drive yeah yeah but all the uh, things yeah, that they, they did go to crash the car. yeah i thought that was interesting <laughs> it was like he was struggling with the bike and yet could drive the car well the bike was mm-hmm. a child's bike that's the bike true, was a child's bike we true. do have to get, i mean give him a little bit of credit here uh, come on don't you know how to ride something that's way too small for he you he did spacewalk what? he spacewalks like a pro it's okay that he can't ride a little girl's bike look i just want him to do everything okay <laughs> but once they get in the car like 
the chick instantly knows how to turn off the wipers and stuff. Well, like, there's not a lot of instantly. like. That's the thing. It's like it takes a second. There is some muscle memory that they're depicting yeah. a little bit for her, which again, it is a little foggy on the rules of the memory loss. You know, yeah. like uh, if you don't know that he's play- he's like playing a part in this, why does he know how to make soup so well? Um, and then with her, yeah. it's like she remembers really physical things. Like she remembers. She remembers how to stand on her hands for four minutes and she remembers these like kind of and all of them. It's like they all have their moves, you know, when they're dancing and things like that. Like it's just just interesting. Like, how did they make the decisions on what? Because like they can walk their potty train. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They could have gone, you know, all kinds of ways. Yes, exactly. But the (laughs) things that they've chosen to allow the people to remember are just as important as the things they've forgotten. And it's it, it truly. And then. There's this other clue in that car ride where they're having a road trip and, of course, they're singing songs and he knows every word of the song that they're listening mm-hmm. to. He chooses the song. It's clear that he it has a memory for him and he clearly gets caught. She's like, oh, it's interesting that you know all the words, but she also knows how to drive a car. Because he was so, almost doing it like subconsciously. Yeah, yeah. And, and he looks so caught. He looks so caught. Yes, he does look that's caught. The he thing. looks it's, caught as hell. It's his reactions to those moments that I think really kind of mm-hmm. seals the deal of... Every ooh. moment where somebody has accused him of having a memory. Yeah. He's like, I have no memory. <laughs> I don't know he what does get, yeah. yeah. He gets a look or like... Oh, you're right. That's strange. Uh, yeah. Like he's almost like irritated. <laughs> don't say I have yeah. memory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> It looks like at times like a very just a kind of instinctual teenage thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mad at himself for showing emotion. Ah, you can definitely get into some stuff too about the gender aspect of that too. Like how, you know, about how it is uh, to process grief as a, uh, as a man in that way, especially because he is sort of this very put together, very masculine Mm -hmm. presenting person. I don't know. I think that's interesting too. That you can't you can't process it to the point where you just run off. Men would rather lose their entire identity and house and life than go to therapy. Yes, (laughs) it's like it's like just clean your living room, dude. (laughs) Call an old friend, man. I'm sure you have one. That's always the saddest thing when the wife goes first. Is always those stories where you're like, "So what'd you do this week? Nothing. You didn't call any friends." Well, I mean, she used to call the friends. (laughs) Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that said, I feel like we're dealing with an incredibly, uh, an incredibly sensitive man in this. Oh, of course. I don't want to like. Yeah, yeah, it's just it was like a factor well, no, of it just, that, that did affect me. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just I, as a counterpoint and something for us to discuss. I would say most men at least have the ability to feel. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying. Yeah. So <laughs> as we're discussing this film. And pointing out who this man is and what kind of man he is. He is Mm -hmm. a man who very naturally has some pretty nurturing qualities. And I think that, you Mm -hmm. know, him volunteering to go on this trip with this woman and sort of be her guide. It doesn't seem like it comes from a flirtatious, like, she's a hot, hot babe place. It comes from a very, like, helpful place and, you know... A, a true she said she said that she had to do something difficult yes and would he accompany yes. her to do something difficult she didn't say what it was but just setting it up that way would like if you had that caretaker sort of tendency you'd be like oh yeah i'll be there for you and, yeah. and, and yeah. he doesn't overdo it it's it's always like and, and the way he mm-hmm. approaches strangers everyone is you know 
he's Just not a, he's not effusive but he is yeah he he's kind he's a very ki- yeah like clearly kind person like you know the neighbor dog likes him the old lady in his building mm-hmm. likes him he's you know he looks concerned when people are hurt or you know he just he seems to be very observant and paying attention to the world around him and the people in it in Mm -hmm. a very compassionate way and i think the other thing is that he's deeply lonely yeah too so just even just having the level of companionship is whether or not he's trying to fuck (laughs) whether or not he's trying to smash this he he wears it on his sleeve Um, he he wears it on his sleeve without it overwhelming him in a obvious way there's a great great peacefulness to his version of grief that i feel like i don't see in movies as often like there's usually usually there's a lot of sort of and, and obviously part of it is because there's this pretending thing that he's doing but it just it's so subtle and it was very effective. His his version of hysterics is leaving his apartment and never looking back. That's also, I think, what a great classic thing to do in a story because that is something I think most human beings have fantasized about doing at one point or another. You know, that the there's, fugue a, there's state. a certain... <laughs> yeah, there's a certain thing of like, I just wish I could just not have to worry about any of this you know and then very Mm -hmm. quickly most people one second later go well no because i would lose all of these other things that i love about my life and just not just this moment where things feel like the walls are crashing in but i thought that was so brilliant to do that in the context of this huge thing when we have all i think all felt as a people that there's a certain amount of like i would like to run away from all of this horrible stuff that is going around i mean i don't know how many times in my 20s i'm like oh i'm just gonna move to a different city that's how i'm dealing with this and i didn't but that idea was in my head well you did a couple times no i I lived in columbia missouri for 18 years and then memphis for three years and then la for eight years that's who i am Mm -hmm. i stay But you at least got to expand a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. A tiny little bit. Yeah. All right. Next task. The most specific task yet. So the tasks have gotten increasingly specific. The next one is their journey to going to the hospital to find a person who is dying, befriend them over a time of several days or weeks until they're dead, spend every day with them, go to their funeral, stay with their relatives. (laughs) It's so specific and unhinged. It's my favorite one, though, for sure. I mean, I think because it's so like that is like teaching you how to be a human being for sure. It's about it's like building you up into connection and seeing people through hard things and knowing learning the steps of that like I remember this is so uh I'm ashamed of this but also I was so young I was learning one of my best friends in college her father died and I just sent her flowers that was it and she didn't hear you know I was like oh she needs space again it was a genuine thing of like you just don't know what people need if you mm-hmm. haven't been in that position yet and you're so young. And so it's like, you just uh, don't know. Now I know it's like, now you know what to do when a friend is having loss or having a hard time. You know how to show up. But that's such a crucial part of learning to be a person is learning how to show up for people. And I thought that was so beautiful that they not only picked doing that, but they picked doing it in a, in a way that you're investing in a relationship that will never pay off in that beyond that experience you know Mm -hmm. i think that's exactly Mm -hmm. right it's like you really you get a sense of i mean you're as you go and as you're watching this and you know it's a program and you know it's meant to be somewhat therapeutic although albeit very it's very cold and clinical you still wonder with each of these tasks what are they meant to gain from this and some of it really is like like poppy go wheelie 
so yes. so much joy so much joy from like <laughs> trying and failing and then succeeding at something and mm-hmm. you see the guy on the street who's singing twinkle twinkle little star uh, mm-hmm. which is for musicians <laughs> for any human that's I like one of the first it. songs you learn as a kid I like love and it. it's clear he's very mm-hmm. terrible at playing it he's trying so he's hard trying so that hard. was so funny <laughs> and it's it's meant to be there. this like public yeah. it's almost like publicly humiliate yourself a little bit you know it's Mm -hmm. like a public performance put yourself out there because Mm -hmm. it will make you stronger and it's it's also the shared experience but also it's a foundational song as a as a a musician and an artist it's you know teaches you some basic chords it's like you know there's just so much to be gained from that Um, texas chainsaw massacre is a pretty universally terrifying film so it's a great choice i mean it's i think you have to be pretty I'm not going to make any judgments, but I can't imagine the person that would not be scared by that film. Exactly. It's one of the most I don't want to meet films. that person. <laughs> and then Titanic, which like, it's very affecting. And she's talking about mm-hmm. it in this sense. And it's it's sort of like, but the way she's describing it to him too, it's like you, you get the sense that, you know, it's meant to mimic or that film is considered very romantic, et cetera, et cetera. A uh, tearjerker of a film. It. She, she the way she's describing it, it almost sounds like she's talking about a friend of hers too. Yes, I was <laughs> confused about it for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like this redhead chick like fell in love with a poor guy on a yeah. ship, and oh. then like everyone died except for her. The things that she takes from that film <laughs> tell you so much about who she is yes. too. That's always the so details. Mu- yeah, that's always so much of the fun of talking to friends about films that they love because you're just like oh i would not have looked at it that way i'm really getting a, yeah more of a window into your soul you <laughs> she know? got to the class issues right away um <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. so all these all these experiences are meant to have this large emotional reaction to or have some kind of big formative memory about but this guy we never see him being emotionally involved with these experiences really at all like or emotionally affected by them he's checking off a list he's yeah they're task-based yeah Yeah. and and that's gonna come naturally from the fact that he's a fully he remembers doing them the first time yeah he's a fully formed (laughs) fully baked human being and he doesn't (laughs) but but it's also like as much as he's sort of Still, very practically speaking, he's developing new memories, even if it's not the first time. It's it's a new memory. Mm-hmm. It still seems to be doing what it needed to do for him. Um, but, but this this moment when he is confronted with somebody who is dying, who has mm-hmm. a wife who's lost her memory, and the sensitivity mm-hmm. to, to Ali, to what you were saying of like, you know, it's a, such a learned skill to take care of people who are grieving. Um, and it, it often takes being a person who has gone through some, and experienced yeah. grief yourself to truly understand it, uh, to know that it's okay to not know exactly what to say. Exactly. But how sensitive he is to this idea of like, maybe it's better that your wife doesn't remember anything yeah. because it'll be easier for her when you're gone. And just how, and then, and then there's a moment too, where you find out that he, you know, had a wife. This is the moment we find out he had a wife and that she died. And you can see him, you can see him struggle with that truth, with that, that, Mm -hmm. that, like, whether or not to say that to this man, but this man is Mm -hmm. dying. So of course, he needs to be absolutely honest with him. And it's his moment to share. And it is this thing Mm -hmm. where the experiment is meant to give him one thing, and he gains something else from that. And it's, uh, it's another thing where it's like, I don't know how you watch this movie just one time. Truly. Yeah, yeah. That moment is 
Yeah, super revealing. Right before that, I think also was the time someone said that apples give you memory and he was loading up a bag with apples and he dumps that bag of apples and gets oranges instead. Yeah, which <laughs> so it's he's like, like very obviously avoiding having a memory. Yeah, he's not doing time. the preventative care anymore. He's like, please, disease, come get me. Take my memories away. <laughs> yeah. The hospital scene, too, provides one of my favorite physical comedy moments as well. Where somebody, Mm. it's clear somebody has, there's a wet floor sign, it's clear the floor is wet, somebody's just mopped it, and he's having to go door to door to kind of figure out who his companion is going to be for this next experiment. And he Mm. lifts his toes and only walks on his heels, Mm -hmm. because, like, very clearly, like, I want to make as small of an impression on this clean floor as possible, because (laughs) it's just, it's just like we talk about what a careful, sensitive person he is. He's so thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's such a funny way to walk around he's such a serious like mm-hmm. you know very focused doing this thing but he lifts his toes and walks like a child on his heels across this wet floor he's brilliant yeah which is also he's anxiety amazing. provoking for <laughs> for moms because i'm going you're gonna fall you're gonna fall dude <laughs> i spent entirely too much energy worrying about I, other people's I injuries felt, <laughs> he seemed graceful enough to handle the, the the heel walk yeah i think he'd bounce back yeah. yeah i'm just i'm just always impressed with people's physical abilities because i have very little <laughs> i feel that <laughs> Um, So this dying guy also makes like a final request that he wants a pastry, a pastry like the pastries his wife used to make. So this man goes home and like spends some time making a gorgeous pastry for this man. And when he comes back, the guy is gone. So now he's he's lost another person in his life, um, but also didn't get to give that guy his last last wish meal. That made me so crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. We should say yeah. too that while he is in the middle of making this very complicated, beautiful dessert that has to be made mm-hmm. with so much dedication and love, his pal comes by and again asks him to join her on a very difficult mission, which is her, she's at the same point he is where she has to go to this woman's funeral. But her mm-hmm. description of it is, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be so boring. Yeah. Yeah. And he oh. just... He can't with her. It's like, screw you. I can't. You're, I'm done. Like, are you kidding me? That's your reaction <laughs> yeah. to a funeral? Like, of anyone. Yeah. It's going to be boring? He's like, I'm busy. Like, God. Yeah. yeah, that was really... That made me so anxious because I was like, oh my God, make that pastry as soon as you can because you need to get to the hospital. It made me so anxious before yeah. you even get there and find that he's gone. But it was like... And yeah. then she's interrupting him with like complaining about being... You know, it's there's it's an honor to be a part of something like that, to be there for other people, especially when it's not somebody that you had a connection with, really, you know? Yeah. Like, on the on the con- yeah. the it- contrast of the two of them, like she she is basically cheated on every one of the assignments. Like she brought somebody with her on the car crash mm-hmm. assignment. She had the one night stand with somebody <laughs> that she was actually somewhat close to. He wasn't a complete stranger yeah. to her and then tried to make amends with him afterwards, which was not the assignment. Right. And then yeah. on the funeral front, it's like she didn't actually learn anything from the assignment and now is too yeah. bored to go to the funeral. That's mm-hmm. a good perspective. She, she's, a, yeah. she's a cut corners kind of person. The only thing she succeeded in is being totally terrified by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> but even then, she's not sitting upright in her seat. She's trying to avoid watching it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'll, I can give her some grace for that. <laughs> 
one of my favorite movies, so I'm going, watch it. It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Your nightmares will only help you grow. <laughs> so all of these things are kind of slowly building up to make him realize how unsustainable this life is for him he does still try and keep it up for a second he goes to the funeral he cries he goes back home and starts to play the next tape which just starts with like go to a public place and find someone who's treating someone badly (laughs) and cuts it off there we don't need to know whatever else was gonna be on that i thought that i thought that he was rewinding it when we saw it so it sounded like he was meant to go start a fight with somebody and defend someone I I remember getting... Yeah, I figured that's where it was going to go, but I don't know, because based on the specificity of the last couple tasks leading up to Mm -hmm. this, I feel like there was going to be a lot more involved. Yeah. (laughs) But we don't know, because we never hear it. Because he abandons the tape, he's eating an orange, which he also abandons, and he's like, I can't live this life that, like, is not me, is not what I want to be doing. I want to be eating my apples and... Yeah. And and it's creating pain for him that is not... Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's even more lonely. Exactly, yeah. it's un- like pain is unavoidable. I might as well live my own life where I've learned things from. Right, have wonderful memories yeah. and a wonderful yeah. life, and something to hold on to besides just the pain. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about his fruit bowl for a second, though, when he does yeah. go back to his apartment and sneaks in. Which that sequence to me is first of all the Charlie Chaplin leg. Yes. He, his old lady neighbor comes out of her house, out of the mm-hmm. door, and he doesn't have his keys, so he has to le- make sure that the door is propped open so he can get into the building. Yes. And he drops his leg fully like a ironing board on the step to dr- to stop the door. <laughs> and it is the funniest way to stand <laughs> and and have like just a very casual conversation without either of them acknowledging how ridiculous it is that he's standing this way. <laughs> it's so good. She's just marveling. The, My, the the door, though, like him wrenching his arm through that open yes, window yes. part was just impressive. So very impressive. That guy again. must be a dancer or something. Yeah, I, I got that feeling. Kind of too. horrifying that somebody can do that. Yes. Though I was like, if I lived there, I would be scared of someone doing that yeah. at all times. This is horrifying. Yeah. Well, it was yeah. also just like, why is your door built like that? Why isn't there any glass? Why isn't there something? I'm like, it's probably a Greek thing. I know. It, maybe yeah. it was built before glass existed. <laughs> like. <laughs> Their shit's a little older Before than ours. Glass this is the American perspective where we're like, oh, there's a, a vulnerability. It's obviously, everyone's going to take advantage of that vulnerability. Well, you need to fix it. Especially like, you know, the two of us talking about our love of weird movies and horror films. That's what I always think. I'm always like, ah, oh, safety is an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. I've had my house broken into. That's all I think about. Oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry. It's been horrifying. Long, long time since that happened to me, but it's not fun. It's very. It's been a long time unsettling. for me too, but I don't stop thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah, so he he's giving up his forgot his. Well, it's hard to say his forgotten life, the life where he has forgotten, and going towards the life that he was trying to forget. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, we first of all the house, the interior is established with like all of his wife's beautiful uh, there's lady stuff everywhere yeah it's shoes like, with the shoes lingerie. hair combs purses like mm-hmm. it's it's just it's everywhere stuff that they did not yeah. show in the first glimpse of the apartment but it's very clear yeah. that like she is still there with him and there's no way to mm-hmm. get around it and then he goes to this fruit bowl he goes to this fruit bowl that has been abandoned for how long now and there's still viable fruit in it 
That was a little stumbling on that one. Um, Apples do last (laughs) a long time, though. It's the one flaw in the film. It's the one flaw in the film. (laughs) It's a bit of a stretch. He was able to find an apple that wasn't rotten to the point where he could still eat it. Well, it's so symbolic. Uh, I feel like we can forgive it because it's like, okay, the filmmaker is clearly Mm -hmm. being like, I know this is super symbolic. Strap in anyway. I'm going to still do this. Speak for yourself, Allison. (laughs) (laughs) There's still some good left, even in a bowl of rotten fruit. (laughs) You can still make something out of it. The other thing, too, I was so affected by was that his wife's things were set out that way. It was like that was like the mystery was still there. There was so much mystery still. It's like, did she die suddenly? Was this what she was going to wear? I feel like dying suddenly was the vibe. Yeah. And if or or is he putting her pretty things out? To like oh, just have not. pretty things for her, which is I'm not you know, gonna think about to me that. it felt it like dying creepy, suddenly. To me it felt like she had her shit set up yeah, and uh, yeah. she left the house and got hit by a car yeah, or something. That was the feeling I got too. I think that's what we're supposed I to do. I feel yeah. like our sensitive friend would not put that stuff out intentionally. One other thing was that when he was getting dressed to go back to his old house was that his his apartment was really messy. And previously when the lady was over, she had complimented him on how clean his place always was. So I feel like that was just another representation of him like losing it a little bit. Yeah, like losing like it where he was. You you slide back into whoever you are. Like it doesn't Yeah. You don't yeah. suddenly become a different person because you get a new apartment or a new job or a new whatever. It takes mm-hmm. time to build new habits and he can't outrun himself in this moment yeah and the sloppiness i mean i don't i'm not gonna say that he's a inherently sloppy person but his living room at the top of the film <laughs> pretty sloppy and it's grief sloppy <laughs> but he's clearly sliding back into that grief sloppy at the end yeah so yeah he goes back to his old house Beautiful. starts cleaning up he eats a rotten apple <laughs> eats a perfectly good apple that he found in a bowl full of rotten ones and uh, starts making progress on moving forward, it seems. And then we roll cred, so that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I can think of one thing I didn't mention while we were going through this was that, and this is like kind of going back now, <laughs> but on the social media commentary of it all, uh, the director talked about how having those two doctors have basically free access to these people's apartments to come in and look through their pictures and comment on them in real time was like a metaphor for social media just like people coming in from wherever and you have no privacy and they go through your photos and comment on them so that was just uh an interesting representation of that idea of like thinking of what does that mean if it's real and not digital (laughs) yeah yeah he's performing for them like and he's very aware of that as he's making these memories these aren't just genuine moments of escape for him it's it's like thinking about the audience constantly as he's doing it yeah and what they want to see and you know again that moment where he realizes he was her one night stand and that Mm -hmm. it was programmed and not spontaneous between them mm-hmm. part of his embarrassment seems to be like you know oh yeah <laughs> like taking a picture of myself after that thing <laughs> that was supposed to be so spontaneous and it's for these people who are these people yeah so i just thought that was interesting is there anything else that we didn't hit on that you guys wanted to talk about no i mean we started talking about the community of it all and i really do think about like uh 
I think about the pop culture elements that I grew up with and the things that, you know, guilty pleasures a little bit, you know, like there's something very guilty pleasures mm -hmm. about this. Like, you know, it's, it's level setting everyone at the same taste level, you know, like they're watching the same movies, they're mm -hmm. listening to the mm -hmm. same music, they're, they're given the same universal references. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is something about social media, if we're using that as an as a thematic in this, Mm -hmm. where people are so angry and at odds over taste, over things that are subjective, <laughs> over things like, mm -hmm. like thinking about best pictures, for instance, yes. the best picture nominees and best actress nominees and things like that. It's just it there's so much vitriol and and really people spew hate at each other over things that should be subjective and personal and taste. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't allow for that. Like the program doesn't allow for that. Like everyone's doing their own things. You can have opinions about these elements of the program or, or the film, but they're not even expressing their opinions about the film. They're just experiencing them and, yeah. and just experiencing life and finding common ground in the experience of it rather than their opinion of it. I mean, I think, I think inevitably if you're mm -hmm. making a movie that is about loneliness, you know, cause obviously it's, I think, more predominantly about grief, but I think there is a thing about loneliness and connection that's a huge theme in this movie. It's kind yeah, of both. That it's like, inevitably, I can see why there would be, um, why he would be thinking about social media, because I think the whole goal of it is supposed to be to increase connection, but often does lead to increased loneliness. And uh, for myself, mm -hmm. I found it to be mostly a helpful situation, but I think you have to be really careful about how you curate it and you have to get real lucky on top of that. So I, I do get that that's uh, a loaded thing that I think is worth always examining. Yeah. But for me, I'm glad that he didn't, that he let that be more of a sort of metaphor or an inspiration point than something that he was hitting as hard, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I totally appreciate Definitely. this film without ever thinking about social media while watching it like i i watched it twice now and when you said there was this idea of it being about social media and no idea place yeah. or a reaction you know it's like i could love this yeah. film all day long and never think that about this <laughs> but it's it's always fascinating mm -hmm. just like with you know this was my first feature that just came out and it's like hearing from things that people got from the film that no matter how much we thought about our film as we were making it never occurred to me there was just some of these things that people have brought back to you and then vice versa, where I feel like there's got to be some of these things that I'm saying uh, in interviews or whatever, or to people when they see it, that they're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I didn't get that, you know? Well, and I think, I think along <laughs> those, yeah, along those lines too, it's like, you know, when you read the reviews of your own films. Yes. People go in with their own idea of what the film is, whether it's the trailer, whether it's just their own experience as a film goer. Mm -hmm. People, some of the reviews, it was clear that like, you know, yeah. some people just not everybody's going to like the same stuff. That is totally yeah. the beauty of the world that we live in. When people don't like your film because it's not what they thought the film should be. Yeah. That is a different thing. That's like, you know, the beauty of this character that we just watched. It's like we went in with knowing nothing about him and got to know him. Yes. And that was great. And we you, we took away mm -hmm. from it probably some of our own personal stuff and interpretation of obviously of who he is. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we also are able to let him be who he is because we know nothing about Absolutely. him. Absolutely. It is one thing to, for, as a filmmaker, to try something and feel like, oh, people didn't get what I was trying to do. Yes. And it's another thing where it's like, that person was never going to yes. get what I was trying to do. This was not yeah. the film for them. You don't yes. make, <laughs> you don't make a movie for every person in the world. You make it for you, your audience and whatnot. But 
it, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know. I don't have I don't know how to tie that thought up necessarily, but to say like, <laughs> well, and letting, that's the beauty and letting of, of the subject going into uh, watching a film, hoping to be surprised, hoping yeah. to be led in a different place than you expect, you know? Yeah, I always say, why do we feel like we have like the right to set expectations on a film or of a filmmaker or like of a story? Like, why can't it just be whatever somebody else whatever whoever made it wants it to be like why yeah. do we think that we get to say it should be this way or that way or you know so if somebody's saying this movie didn't go the way i think it should or the way i wanted this type of movie to be yeah, or I mean, I something think... like that i always hate that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i like watching weird stuff because you can't expect anything you go in thinking this person's gonna do something off the wall I don't know what it's going to be you're or where it's going to go, for a different but it's going to be something different. Yeah. And that's what I want. I don't want to know what's yeah, coming. Yeah, you're watching a movie. Yes, you're watching a movie hoping they surprise you yes. and letting that making yeah. and disappointed when they and don't. So you're my yeah. favorite kind of audience because <laughs> it's like, that's exactly what you're all. I feel like, you know, that's something I think Kim and I have in common where it's like we're trying, you know, as much as I love sort of, you know, the idea of of a movie kind of working within a certain conventions and you feel comforted by them and now you're, you know, you're still along for the story. I think for the most part, what's exciting is more like, you know, let's blow that up and, and forward the conversation as much as we can and do something, you know, surprising. And I think he really succeeded with this film. I think he took this kind of idea and, and brought it to a very quiet, as Kim keeps saying, patient place. There's a lot of, a lot of compassion. And you can still ground it in something familiar and yeah. nostalgic and like, we yeah. had Polaroids as kids, you know, we had <laughs> tapes and stuff like that. It's still it's still meant to have that aspect of like nostalgia in it, even though it's strange and weird and off the wall and surprising and you can't really put any Yeah. You couldn't plug a formula onto this and expect it to fit into that. Yeah, it's high concept, but at the yeah. end of the day it's about people and their feelings. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> so I think we've pretty much wrapped the film. So now we get to the part where we rate it out of five. So what do you guys think? I'm going to, I'll start then because I was thinking about this actually because this is a hard one to rate for me because I think it's such an accomplished movie and I was definitely affected, but I wouldn't say it's one of my new favorites kind of level. So um, I really respected it and really got a lot out of it. But there was something mm -hmm. about it that I just ultimately didn't worship, I guess. So I think for that, I'd say like a, you know, like a four or a 4.5, like something where you're like, this is an outstanding film, but I don't love it in, at the level that uh, I would give a five. Your rating is so, it so perfectly encapsulates who you are. You just made me think you were about to give this movie a two or a one. That setup was bonkers and perfect it's so subjective rating something you you were almost apologetic you were so apologetic for like i didn't love it uh well, a nearly perfect that, score honestly for me it's because it's like i don't have any criticisms of the movie like i think it's a great film i think it's so accomplished i think it's doing something yeah. again with this kind of situation that we do not see i think it has so much class but you're only going to watch it three more times and therefore, it's a 4.5. Yeah, you still have to be my mother who continues to watch shows she doesn't like because they worked so hard. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. So what would you uh, rate it as, Kim? Now it's going to be really funny if your rating is low. Oh, my God. 
Well, I love I love that this is my one shot at rating on this show. And so I'm just going to like completely go for it and give it a five out of five because I have nothing to compare oh, it yeah. to. I love the cinematography. I love the performances. I love the writing. I love the choices and editing. Yeah. I loved the score. I loved everything about it. It's a movie I will go back to as chicken mm, noodle soup for the soul right on. very often. Mm-hmm. And I think I think as far as like what I'm looking for in a film, too, it just... It also gave me a lot of hope for what filmmakers can mm. do when they just yeah. remember why we make films. And yeah. don't because it's not huge. No, it's not fancy. It's not fancy. Yeah. It's not huge. Uh, the locations are sparse and every one of them is important. The cast is sparse and every pe- person is important and there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Every line of dialogue is there for a reason. People don't talk when they don't need to be talking. The one person mm-hmm. that's a little bit chatty is the person who's like, uh, you know, our not so favorite lady in the film who, yeah. you know, she's the one yeah. cutting the corners and not acting like a good citizen of the yeah. world necessarily. It's all intentional. It's such an intentional film. I loved it. Yeah. I really do love the film. I do think it has a ton of yeah. rewatch value, which I think is rare. I'm not usually a movie rewatcher or, I mean, it's got to be amazing for me to be rewatching. So I think that's really valuable. I think the ideas are really valuable. I'm teetering between four and a half and five. I don't know why I still feel like maybe there's something a little, like it's a little too vague. I wish it could be like a little more Mm -hmm. specific or a little more involved, although I also understand why it can't. So (laughs) you also have more uh, history with this particular show that we're on and you can't just just be like five. Like where do you go from there? (laughs) I mean... I am I am a rare five. Oh. I am a rare five. Like I don't give out fives very often. It does really have to be really special. But I am teetering. I'm between four and a half and five on this one. Because I, I really don't know if I could like pinpoint something specifically that I would change or any way that you could change it to make it better. You're going on guts. It's You're going really on good. guts. You're not yeah. trying to remake his yeah. movie. You're just going exactly. on your gut. <laughs> but if I if I'm not going to give it a perfect score, I'd like to have a reason why, and I just don't know if I do. Maybe the the social media stuff is a little on the yeah, nose. There I you go. already said I don't love that stuff. Yeah, so that's what I think. I, I'll, I'll say four and a half solid. Four and a half I think. for a hokey theme that yeah. <laughs> makes total sense. But it's really good. It's Absolutely. so good. and it has a lot of rewatch value. Wouldn't it be funny if I picked this film and then I gave it like a one? <laughs> It happens, right? Because sometimes well, you have people I, on and they're like, I don't really like this It does movie. happen. Like, I listened to your Maniac episode and I think he was like, he was like one or two or yeah. something. Whoa, somebody yeah. picked that without having seen it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I pick, I usually pick movies without having seen them if I can, because I think mm. the discussion's usually more valuable or like, even, even if you don't like a movie, it's still valuable yeah. to discuss why you don't. It's still interesting conversation. Yeah. So I don't think I have to like love every yeah. movie that I do for the podcast. It, it's me doing a movie for the podcast is not necessarily a cosign. Sure. Usually I haven't seen them when I pick them for or when somebody else has picked them. I haven't seen them yet. That's a, that's um, interesting. I, I did pick this because I loved it and I wanted to share it. And I don't yeah. I don't. And some people go with that mode, too. That's yeah, funny. I don't I don't always yeah. have that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. And I also, you know, and, and I'm not saying because I'm not on podcasts all the time. That's not what I mean. I mean, because like, I am so keenly aware of how often I am disappointed by films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if I'm going to talk publicly yeah. about something and share it with friends, I want it to be something that yeah. I know that they'll enjoy. <laughs> But I, I think criticize, cri- criticism can be good and valuable, yes. too. And then people can learn yeah. why they fucked up. Yeah. 
and how to make it better and what we are disliking about what they're oh, doing. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, I think that's also valuable. Yeah, listen to us, world. Get your <laughs> act together, everybody. I think this it's also really like I just uh, I had been on Letterboxd <laughs> before, but like uh, in Jan- at the right at the new year, I got COVID. My whole family and I got COVID. And so I just all that would all I could do was watch movies, mm. which was sort of like both fantasy and frustrating. But mm-hmm. um, and, and then I got into Letterboxd in terms of just logging and putting things on. And then I found that like before I would write these reviews about things that I watched. And then after having put my film out, I've been so sensitive about that. I've been so like, I don't want to put out, I don't even want to low rate something on Letterboxd. You're afraid they're going to see it? Yeah. I don't want to like, you know, it's like, unless I feel like something was genuinely like, I don't know how to put it. If it was like, the film was mean spirited in the wrong way, like in a yeah or something like that you know but it's like other than that it's like you I just, just know like what a miracle it is to make it's any such movie a, and you don't exactly wanna, yeah it's a miracle you don't want the filmmakers to think you don't appreciate everything yeah. that goes into it yeah exactly or, or that or I think, that i think you can lovingly criticize something absolutely yes. <laughs> you absolutely could i think what i'm saying is mm-hmm. i think I'm, it's just a specific place that i'm at emotionally having just put this thing out and trying to you know you. like continue to make things yeah. where it's like I just feel so like, I feel for you, man. I just want to like high five you that you made it. And then we can have a conversation <laughs> about where maybe I thought it succeeded and didn't. Like, I'm, I have no problem yeah. giving cr- critique. It was just sort of like suddenly the you aspect of doing it publicly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And when a film is done, it's harder it's when hard. it's written too. Yeah. People don't ever confront me about things I've said on the podcast, but I have had my letterbox reviews. Mm. Uh, I have been approached with them. You need you need more uh, if you know what I means and exclamation marks, and then you'll be fine. But uh, this is long form. It's like you have chosen to sit here for a while and listen to what I got to yeah. say. You made this bed, but if you just scroll on, <laughs> if you're just scrolling on Letterbox, it's a lot easier to go. Well, this person said my shit sucks or whatever. You know, I'm gonna find them on Instagram and DM them about it. Oh, I, <laughs> I love that imagine. you persist, though. And Allie, I do hope yeah. you can find your criticism horse once again and get back on it. <laughs> I do it person to person. It's just public. It's public. Is the part. But where I just I'm a I get sensitive. it, especially with Letterbox, because you know the filmmakers are sitting there reading their reviews. That I think should be illegal. Sorry, because <laughs> you're you are a filmmaker who's reading your reviews, but. <laughs> I think it should be illegal. I don't think it's healthy. I think it yeah. is healthy to think, to the point that you're making. Feelings. Yeah, Allie and I, Allie and I talked about the criticism around her film, and you know, the, mm-hmm. there are raves, and then there are films people that did not get it or did not like it for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. And one of the things about criticism that I do love, especially if it's your first feature, is that yeah. you get to see if the thing you set, were putting out there was understood. If you, as a filmmaker, yeah. communicated mm-hmm. effectively the thing that you wanted to. And what are the ways that you didn't? What are the ways that yes. uh, you yeah. didn't express the thing in the exact way that you needed to for people to understand it? And how valuable is that? Like, not to not to put value on dumbing something down for people, but, like, then there's sometimes you made a mistake. Priority. and. And you missed something mm-hmm. that would have connected that tissue for people that would have made it possible for, for them to cr- cross mm-hmm. the bridge with you and understand exactly what you were going for. And so many times when you write something and then you direct it and then you edit it, that thing that you know is supposed to be there gets lost in translation mm-hmm. and you get to see it in the reviews <laughs> that, oh, that thing that I thought mm-hmm. was there and was there at script level was not there when we got to the end of it all yeah 
it's it's really important to be able to to read that stuff but to be able to read it with the idea that like you're not going to please everybody and yes. some people yeah. in criticism are fabulous wonderful people who are kind great writers who just really love film and want to talk about it and need a job <laughs> and uh, you know and then there are some mm-hmm. people who it's just like they live for hurting other people and criticism as a profession is like their way of getting back at the world in some way and those people are not even worth following or like they really shouldn't yeah. have jobs like you know it's like when a teacher doesn't like kids or something yeah it's like just mm-hmm. get that person out of here because if you, you know if you can't if you can't <laughs> give credit you know it's it, it's like i know some films make me angry and i feel anger towards the filmmakers that made them but yeah i am not going to punish them with my anger unless it's like <laughs> truly like a fascist person or somebody who deserves to yes. be called out in that way but like truly it's like or, or ask the back. question of it in what you're writing up as opposed Which to just can't. coming with, with you can't ask with, questions with, like with that vitriol you know yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's interesting yeah and so it was funny when you said the thing about social media my immediate thought was like oh he had this big idea that didn't translate how it, oh i felt kind of bad for him but i was also like no but it's a layer that's in there for him that we take however we want to take it it's not on so the it's nose like it's an interesting it it's does an interesting it without thing. yeah it does it without beating you over the head with this is yeah. what this film is about and that's yeah. what you should do with movies he does <laughs> ultimately he ties it together with the thing with grief and with the thing of how he's presenting people using social media ultimately he ties it together it's like People are choosing to live life through their phones, to watch everything through their phones, devoid of emotion, not living in the moment, not feeling or experiencing what's happening around them. But also this is why that could seem appealing, but ultimately it doesn't work, right? Yeah, we don't. That could seem appealing to live that way because we don't want to feel the this shit that sucks we don't we don't want to feel the grief yeah like when i take my i take these little uh, self-writing retreats where i go to a hotel or somewhere for a weekend or however long and i always take like just a couple photos of the room because it'll just it gives me sometimes if i'm writing later it gives me like peace thinking about a peaceful uninterrupted writing session maybe that's too inside baseball but it's like it's those kinds of it's like you can process your experiences however you want yeah as as you're allowing yourself to to experience them you know yeah we need yeah we need to have Mm -hmm. grace for how people process things for sure yeah now it's time for screen vomit On this part of the pod, we just talk about whatever else we've been watching. So movies or shows or whatever else you've been watching lately. What y'all got? So much. I like, <laughs> Pick a okay, couple. So my, fa- <laughs> so my favorite thing I've seen lately, uh, or one of two, was Resurrection with Rebecca Hall. I love, love, love this movie. Have you guys seen this one yet? It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think I've heard of it's, it. Uh, it's also on Shudder. And it's basically about this uh, woman. Uh, sh- she's a mother to a teenage daughter. And I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say that she encounters a very oh yeah, I've seen this post dangerous ex and has a very extreme reaction to that. And it's her and Tim Roth uh, plays the dangerous ex, and oh, yeah. it is so um, again. It's like how do I speak in semi code before you know, like because it's part of what's great about this movie is the, as as with any movie, but especially this movie is the ongoing surprise of how crazy it gets. Like mm-hmm. Kayla, I, I think for for different reasons, you both would really love this film. And uh, Rebecca Hall gives this really committed performance. And also, I noticed in the credits that the hair 
department head is the same as on our film, Stephanie Turzo. And wow. she does another fantastic job on that film. So I love uh, Resurrection. It's been on my watch list. I haven't watched it yet, though. It's one of those, like, I was like, how am I going to sleep? This is so good. Like, so Wow, inspiring. hell yeah. Yeah. How about you? What you got, Kim? That. Well, this is a thing. I just admitted to you all that I'm frequently disappointed by things. Um, <laughs> so it, it's... The, Are you scared to say? Well, no. It's, it's the thing where it's like, I want to talk about something that I, I love right now because I feel like this is a moment to recommend something. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I think the last thing that I watched that I, besides this, that I was like, truly, this is great. I'm enjoying this and I want to share it. I, I watched Fleischman is in Trouble uh, uh, series on Hulu. Um, the writing, So it's one that I felt entirely frustrated with for the first episode or two um, because it, it it's a show about a divorce. It mm-hmm. has a fantastic cast and fantastic writing. And you're seeing this divorce from the male perspective, from the, the perspective of one person. And mm-hmm. you're seeing it told through a narrator perspective, um, his, his best friend and her telling what she is seeing of the divorce, which is his side of it. it and so that it, it becomes really frustrating at first to, to know that that's the perspective that you're seeing this kind of entitled dude's view of this divorce and that you're missing some pieces that you can feel are there and are really important to telling mm-hmm. the whole story of this divorce and this couple. And then you start getting those pieces and it is beautiful. And you start to realize that the title is not just about him <laughs> and that there are pieces that they have missed in each other. And it's the most beautiful telling of a divorce that I've seen in a really long time. And just of people, just of people wow. who have these long-term relationships with each other where you think that you know everything about a person and yet you can absolutely not know anything about them because of mm-hmm. these preconceived notions of who they are or your expectations of them or whatever else. And it's just it just explores so much in such a short amount of time. I mean, it is... I think it's six to eight episodes. So it doesn't feel like a lot of time in the, the scheme of TV. But then, you know, compared to a feature, obviously, it's they, they've got like a ton of time to go on little um, meandering walks. But it, it really talks a lot to a specific generation of women, I think, a little bit. If you've grown up as a woman who maybe you were the only woman in your male group of friends and you sort of went along with certain opinions or whatever to kind of survive in this male dominated world. It -hmm. really speaks to like the dangers of that and the internalized misogyny that comes with that and somebody kind of calling their way out of it as a woman and as a mother. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. It's great. I mean, it has some flaws that we can discuss on another day, but (laughs) I recommend it. But you loved it. Hell I yeah. loved it too. I have to second recommend that. I loved it. I was so moved by it. It says, "Wow, a double." Yeah, rec. it says so much about. Um, well, this is a bit of a cheat because she recommended it to me, and then I watched it. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so that's a real direct line. But yeah, it just says so much about the the experience of middle age and the the sort of uh, checkpoint that it provides, whether you like it or not. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a very compelling subject matter, but. Yeah, love that. Hell yeah. How about you? What have you seen lately that you are loving? I've watched a few things. Or not loving, Um, right? You can say either one, right? (laughs) I could say either one, but actually I do have a whole list of stuff that I loved this week. All right, I watched a couple things. So Brandon Cronenberg just had a new film, but I actually watched his first film, Possessor. Yeah, I still have to see it. Uncut. I watched the uncut version, which... I had never seen the normal one, so all I have in my brain is the uncut version. Of course, you would go right to the uncut version, and I admire that in you. (laughs) 
But my understanding is it's way more violent and way more graphic nudity than the normal version. So I thought it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was so sick. I, I was tearing up. I thought it was so cool. I saw it in the theater. So I recommend Possessor. I saw the other one too. D- didn't hit the same. Mm. Infinity um, Pool. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Didn't, yeah, it just, I loved Possessor. After seeing Possessor the week before, I was like, "What is this?" Um, yeah, <laughs> but that's another story. That wasn't on my list. Infinity Pool. I love how moved you were by Possessor, though. I mean, I I I couldn't stop <laughs> smiling when I watched it, even though it was like, yeah, it's it's the film that it is. But it is it, it, when somebody's doing. Just, you can tell somebody's truly gifted at what they're doing. It, it really yeah. brought a lot of joy, oddly. It was amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. it's dark. <laughs> it's dark as hell. It's dark. And the uncut version, I can't speak for the normal one. Again, I don't know about the normal one. It seemed like people were underwhelmed by the normal one. But the uncut version, I mean, just had like some really cool gore in it. The whole ideas of it were cool. I Yeah, I loved the uncut version. I don't so, know if I could watch it a second time to fit the uncut version into my life, but... <laughs> I'm going to live vicariously through you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just take my word for it. If you liked the normal one, though, then maybe you're not missing out. But I just know, like, when people, when I was, like, reading my friends' reviews of Possessor, like, on Letterboxd and stuff, they seemed a little underwhelmed. And there were, like, specific scenes they mentioned that I was like, oh, the uncut version was not, like, how they were saying it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I really want to say I saw the uncut version. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I don't know what the normal version was. Because <laughs> I always think, you know, usually we tend to think the director's cut, the uncut version is like going to be the better one, the more, you know, all the way kind mm-hmm. of film. And then you look at something like Donnie Darko, where it's like, I don't know that Richard Kelly knew what was special about his film. Like, I was, yeah. it was like. There is such a thing as like a filmmaker getting lost in the yeah. sauce. Like, they think everything's important. They can no longer delineate, like. What do you mean? What I don't know what that's like. Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it exists. And I'm sure that that is like a really hard thing to yeah. contend with. But that's why you test it so Yeah, yeah very classically. Very it's, classically. Yeah. One of my favorite films is uh, Until the End of the World, that Vin Vendor's film. That like the, the first version of I, I saw was three hours and then only recently saw the five-hour version which is wow gorgeous it's beautiful it's just it's like who would have thought but of course it's you know there were ideas that he had to kill for a three-hour mm-hmm. version of the film that was palatable for audiences at the time that's so wild i think with possessor two part of the reason why some of the stuff was cut was for ratings purposes uh, like it would have made it in c17 or something so he had to cut because it was fucked up. <laughs> okay, I have a couple more. Is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's of course okay. Yeah. We're just coming out of Slam Dance. Slam Dance, oh, as of recording anyway, was like last week or something. So I saw two things at Slam Dance that I got to mention because they were so amazing. One short film called Write a Song About Heartache, which is by Johnny Look. Uh, I've probably talked about on pod before because he has a couple other shorts that are some of my favorites in the world. Write a Song About Heartache was so good he just has these like freaky crazy little ideas and i'm always excited when johnny's got a new movie out so that was an amazing short and then a feature a belgian movie called mascot um by remy van Houten. i heard nobody talking about this movie it barely even has any views on letterboxd 
Um, I watched it because I liked the poster and I thought it was so, so good. I don't know if you guys have seen any Xavier Dolan movies like Mommy or I Killed My Mother. Yeah. Have I, you I've, seen those movies? No, but I feel like I have seen. I know I know of him and maybe that's what he's, it is. He's yeah. done a lot of stuff. He's been, he also acts and stuff. So you I might think there were some Mommy references stuff, but... in uh, Jack, our DP's uh, lookbook for uh, oh, The yeah? Apology also. So Mommy and I Killed My Mother are like two movies that are five stars for me like I love those two movies so much and mascot kind of reminded me of those two movies except darker and a little more violent <laughs> Belgian film always goes off every Belgian film I've seen has been amazing so Jean Dielman. Uh, mascot was just so good I love that I came uh, into your your podcast where your recommendations are like also being rated on how violent and gory they are and I'm like oh guys you gotta see Fleischman in trouble it's a movie about divorce. You're going to love it. Well, it's always like... Sexual a... politics at their finest. Come on. Those things are good, too. Those are... I mean, that's the thing. Like, Some... write a song about heartache isn't violence. Okay, good. Well, well kind um, of it's all fucked up. Violent towards a bug. It's all hard stuff, though. I mean, it's just... It's emotional violence versus physical, you know? It's pretty, it's pretty intense stuff happens I appreciate... in is in trouble. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate emotional movies, too. We watch apples. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do appreciate when violence is used well. Yes. Also, so not all violence is good violence, okay? <laughs> okay, just one more. I watched the Mike Lee film Naked, uh, which I had never oh, seen, but it's from the early 90s or something. That decade. I loved that movie so much, but I already, I think I've already said I'm a real sucker for uh, late 80s and early 90s disturbing, bleak British uh, freak dramas. So uh, it really is a shame I haven't watched this movie sooner. Because that's another film right that was in some it. of our references for the apology as well. I think from a, des- really? a design perspective and a lighting perspective. Yeah, yeah, which is Hell funny yeah. because I still haven't seen it. But what's what? showing up in our references? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a viewing gap for me. I've seen a lot of his other films and love them. I just haven't seen that one. I've only seen one other Mike Lee film at this point. I think. Which is, it's the one that also has the two guys we mentioned earlier. Meantime. Mm. Oh, I haven't seen that. Have you seen Meantime? Which has Tim Roth and Gary Oldman in it. These are films I have not seen. I think I have seen that one. A very long time. Yeah, it's like ringing, it's bringing that that film school and right after kind of feelings back. Meantime, I loved. But that's the only other Mike Lee film I've seen. And everybody's like, why aren't you watching Mike Lee films? I feel like you would love them. Oh, I did watch Another Year, too. I didn't love that one as much. I like that one. But, I mean, it's fine. I just didn't think it was, like, so amazing that I need to watch it again. <laughs> when, I, when I do think that about these other two films, yeah. that's why. Compared to Naked, well, especially Naked, but Meantime is also, like, really, really good. Naked's, like, amazing. David Thewlis and Naked is so crazy, so good. Um, so compared to those, Another Year is, like, whatever. <laughs> It's a little even though I even though even. I do think another year is a good movie. It's a little I think it's good. Yeah. Well, it's But compared to those those movies are like amazing. So Well, uh, I haven't seen Naked, but from what I've heard it is a little bit like comparing Possessor to Flashman is in Trouble. Like they're both great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, both oh, have a yeah. lot of compelling <laughs> things, but they're just the tone is very different from what I've heard. I have speaking of a Absolutely. weird tone thing, I have a specific mm. short to recommend that I that I yes. watched that I thought was really the kind of thing I do not normally like. Uh it's called <laughs> 
because it's called Meet Friend. Uh, it's a short film by a filmmaker named Izzy Lee. Okay. And um, I really liked this film. It's very strange. It's basically about this little girl who um, makes a little girl, little kid mistake of trying to cook something the wrong way. She tries to make cook meat in a microwave and it becomes a sentient little um, monster and it's just it but it feels oh, like yeah. they've taken this weird like sentient little meat monster and put it in like a sort of faux full house show <laughs> And just, I don't know how to describe it exactly to get the tone right, but the tone of this is so weird. And it's like the fact that it's a very low, obviously a low budget short really helps it Mm -hmm. because it just feels like a a different thing than I've, I've seen before. And he basically, the meat friend is constantly trying to educate her on how to, you know, live in this hard world and (laughs) teaching her how to make things look like an accident and so forth. It's pretty funny. That sounds awesome. Yeah. You probably love Johnny's movie. Johnny looks movies. If, uh. If that sounds cool to you. Yeah, well, again, it's <laughs> like was... when it's successful. Write a song about heartache is about I a guy it, but... who relies on a slug that lives in his drawer to write hit songs for him. <laughs> I did really like Basket Case. So there, I guess there is a part of my heart that will accept <laughs> such nonsense. But yeah, you, very often I'm like, okay. But this one I thought was a he real He has fun. another movie about people who torture plants <laughs> to get them to talk. They're like, we know plants can talk, but they won't do it unless we torture them. <laughs> <laughs> it's called assholes <laughs> it's a short film it's 10 I, minutes it's really I good i gotta see that because i feel like that's my relationship with plants inadvertently <laughs> i love them i want them around <laughs> the ways they torture these plants are like amazing there's like one lady who really cares for the plants and she's so nice to the plants and her husband also works in the lab and they like make it they make the plants watch him cheat on her <laughs> It's like one of the ways they torture them. (laughs) But they also do like normal like burning the plants or, uh, you know, ways that would be painful to the plants or like eat lettuce right in front of them or stuff like that. Do they get the plants to talk? Get them to talk. (laughs) You got to watch the movie, Kim. God. You got to watch the movie. It's only 10 minutes. It's called Assholes, directed by Johnny Lee. I just want Kayla to tell me the plot and the entirety of every film ever from now on. Watch this short. It's so good. It's efficient. It's it's bringing me a lot of joy. I mean, I do. I would like to do that. I just maybe after I see it, then I want to hear the whole thing recited. Yeah, I used to do I did, that to my mother I, all the time. Here's the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone on this screen has already seen Bones and all, but that is another yeah. mm-hmm. recommendation. Yeah. It's another thing where it was like, oh, this film was everything. I wanted it to be and more. Oh, I loved yeah. it so yeah. much, and I really liked Bones and all. Too. I left. Again, unable to talk to my friend group that I was with about my feelings <laughs> about it. I wanted to just sit with it and be there in that feeling, even though it is. I thought Timothy Chalamet did a really oh. good job in that movie, too. I yeah. mean, both the main people did, but I, he always gets weird weird amounts of hate. Or Does like, he? I don't yeah, know. I feel like that, I never yeah, like people are He also gets Oscar nominations, so I think he's doing okay. I mean, from people who like, he's, he's fine. Okay. He's a millionaire, like 18 year old or whatever he is. He's fine. Um, he's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I just mean from like people who like, uh, consider themselves to be like into film or whatever. I know what always, you mean. There's always like somebody you know what doing I mean? great stuff. There's always going to be some posse of folks. There, being dicks. Yes. I think that that is, that is a thing where it's I like, I just think it's undue. Yes. Yeah. There's clearly yeah. this person who is talented and effective and, and really moves people. Yeah. I'm going to find mm-hmm. something wrong with this. 
Yeah, I, I, I am going to be I'm going to be the voice of reason. You 50 years from now are going to thank me for taking uh-huh. this kid down. Yeah. <laughs> this kid, that's the other thing. Yeah. It's like what are you're like 40. But Why are you looks mad at, about a teenager? Well, yes. There's that too. <laughs> he is Anyway, that's another I mean, topic. <laughs> he, and, he and Taylor Russell in that it's just it's the casting of the two of them it just it's the, the characters are there on paper. The characters are there with even more in the people who are playing them. Uh, yeah. There is a vulnerability. It's like I want them to fall in love and have that love. And I'm so scared for them to fall in love at the yeah. same time. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. It was I've a really surprising seen, movie. To I've me. never yeah. seen anything like it in, in a sense. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. it uses the same language of cinema that we all have seen in, in some you know, there's things that are there that we've seen in other films, but it's just done in this way that is especially cognizant of how an audience is going to feel and is so sensitive and mm-hmm. kind and showing something so dark at the same time. It's it's lovely. Yeah. My only beef with the movie is that there's a character with my name <gasps> and they say they say her name so many times. It's they like do. every time they want to talk about her, they say That's her name. That's the sister, right? It's never just like she did this or your sister did that. Yeah. It's always like... No, where's Kayla? I thought Kayla would be in the room um, because I just talked to Kayla and then I did. You know, it's like they're saying her name like way too many times in a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> I loved that because I thought that was so like a shorthand for I love my sister. And like, you know, I love my sister. And so I'm just going to say her my name. My name is so rarely in films. It always bothers me, but it really bothers me when they <laughs> say it too much. <laughs> I love it. I, feel I like... never heard my name in a movie until 2018 in my entire life. And I'm born in the 80s. Wow. I'm going to say when. I'm born in the 80s. I never heard my name in a film or a TV show until 2018. And then it was in two things in the same year. And you. And I only remember what one of them was, I... which was Blockers, the movie oh. with John Cena. <laughs> we are entering our <laughs> Kayla era. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're like, it's, it's popular. It's going to replace all the know. Hannahs and Annas. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a fan. All right. I'd like to be the only one. <laughs> When I was in school, I made other people named Kayla go by something else. Can you copy? That's not a joke. I wish it was, but that's true. Can you somehow legally protect your name so that anyone that wants to use it in a film has to pay you money? Trademark. Yeah. (laughs) I wish I could. Note to self: Never use her name. You can call me my name, but other people are not allowed no, to name use their name. Yeah, name a character Kayla, but make sure no one ever says that character's name. See, I'd be okay with that. That that might be okay. <laughs> like it, or maybe like say it one time and never again. In apples, they, they but, don't yeah. say his name, do they? <laughs> I don't think so. No, none of the characters in apples have names except for the dead wife. Yeah, but they also, since they like forgot their identity or whatever, would they forget their name? Probably. Hell yeah, they would. They never talked about like picking a new one though. That could have been a cool part. Watching them pick their names, learning so much about them by the name that they pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could could have been interesting. But yeah, none of the characters yeah, that, had names. Okay. So maybe I'm going a four out of <laughs> four out of five here. He really missed an opportunity there. I mean, yeah. All right. we've been talking about this for a few hours. He had months or perhaps years. <laughs> he didn't think about yeah, the name thing. Truly. He could have figured it Fucked out. Up. <laughs> So go, what do you got to plug? Where can people find you? Allie, show me how it's done. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, yes, I'm still there. I feel conflicted, but I'm still there. Uh, and Instagram <laughs> and TikTok uh, under Allison Starlock. 
And please go see The Apology. Uh, you can see it on Shutter. You can see it on AMC+. Plus. You can see it if you buy or rent it on VOD. Uh, you can uh, wa- make a viewing party in case you would like to watch this kind of movie with a viewing party. Uh, and uh, write, write me, party. yeah, write me and tell me what you think. Even if it's not all all glowing, I want to hear what you think. Or and, make it uh, constructive, yeah. please. Yeah, don't be a dick. Like, don't be a dick. But I mean, I, that was inferred. My people would not be dicks. Yeah. No. no, people have been very lovely. When I hear get when I get <laughs> messages, the worst I've ever gotten was more of just like, okay, that was really specific what you liked about it. And you didn't, there was no, like, sometimes I'll get one where it's like, I love this one part. You're like, okay, did you like the rest of the film? That was the weirdest <laughs> it got. I've been very fortunate. People have not been sending me vitriol. So that's nice. Oh, I also um, I also will uh, shamelessly plug a podcast that I'm on frequently, even though um, one of them is not related and one I do not make. I'm just on a lot. So uh, my husband and I make a podcast called Sensory Overload, talking about being parents of a kid on the spectrum and has lots of cuss words. So not too precious. And then I'm also (laughs) on a podcast that he does called The Hold Up, which funny enough is a movie podcast about memory. Uh, about how we oh, revisit the films that we used to love and see how, what it means to us now. And there you go. That's my plug. That's cool. Yeah. Kim? Uh, I'm a pretty private person, but I am on social media. Um, I'm Kim Botto-Tron on both Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, I let anyone follow me. I am pretty open about it, I think. I think I might, it might be set to private. I'm not sure, but I'm a little, I'm more loosey goosey about who can follow me there. Instagram, it's mostly my family and politics. And so I'm a little more selective. So feel free to find me if you are a nice person (laughs) and you want to see pictures of my cute family. Hell yeah. And you both have a whole history of other things you've done that they can look up. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Follow me on IMDb and Letterboxd. Yeah, Letterboxd. I'm on Al- I'm Alice I have and Starlock a, and Letterboxd, too. Yeah, yeah, I have a website oh, yeah. for professional, if people want to, you know, reach out professionally or uh, see other films that I've made. And then, you know, mostly we have the apology out together, and then there's just constant work on new things that are too early to talk about now. Hell yeah, but they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> Always. All right. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you. I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm so I love I love your thank you. I love your Instagram presence. I hate saying that, but it's true. It's just like people say it a lot and they always feel weird about it. It's just it it feels it feels like uh, a bad comedy writer wrote the dialogue for us. But it, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, when we were talking about places we should we should be to talk about our film together. Yours was the one I was like, I really want to talk to this lady. She's cool. <laughs> and I'm thank I'm you. so grateful you did. This was such a fun conversation, and it led to me listening to you know right before this uh, listening to so many podcasts, so many of your episodes of your podcast, and I think it's just so thoughtful. Oh, thank you, and so um, uh, you know, good deep dives, but also. You're just so generous with your guests, like just how um, how cu- genuinely <laughs> curious you are about people and letting them feel the way that they want to feel about whatever it is that they've seen. I thought that was really and cool. welcoming them you. into your rating system. I mean, <laughs> what an honor! Thank you. You guys are so nice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, thank you. I, I don't know what to say now. That's all for the show. <laughs> Bye. 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 Everybody else the rest time. of our day with smiles on our faces. <laughs> Mine's almost all over. Right, it's starting.